perfect. Okay, wow, well, no, wow, just like old times, no fucking right, Greg. Right off the bat, we're in, like, mid-season form. been a while it's been what what has it been like three four months it's been four fucking months without sequel decay the the internet has been better off for it but we just decided no no we need no. to come back no 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 like the the void that has opened up in your hearts will now be filled with sweet sweet podcasting content that you have missed seize the seize the seize the sobbing seize the rending and tearing of your garments because Sequel Decay is back. And better than ever. <sighs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I was I was re-listening to some of our old clips recently mm-hmm. before we all made the universal decision of yeah, we should actually come back. Um, yeah. and somehow re-listening to our old content didn't stop me from saying, hey, let's do this again. <laughs> it just it should have. It should have, but it didn't. <laughs> We're all gonna wake up from like a fugue state in like five hours and like realize, ah oh, shit, we podcasted again. Ah oh, fuck. Oops, I did it again. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, it has happened again. I have podcasted. Oh no. Oh, oh fuck. Is it it's... because of that DMT? Oh shit. It's gonna be hard to face people at the podcasters anonymous meeting tomorrow. Oh. Yeah, God. We're talking about a very, very special bunch of movies today, Chris. What are, what are we talking about? Okay, so we, okay, so we missed a lot actually. So I guess as soon as we decided to go off the proverbial air, mm-hmm. a shitload of movies came out in the last few months. Actually, why don't we go through those first before we, uh, before we go into fucking. <laughs> what yeah. we're talking about because all a right, lot of shit not? came out let's do and it and it's very important that we talk about all these franchise movies we missed and probably didn't watch mm. okay so we said goodbye at the end of july that we rhymed did. we should it sure does so what did we miss we missed the suicide squad yeah that, that was unfortunate but yeah still haven't seen it the kissing booth three I have no idea what that is. I don't know either. Free Guy? Not sorry, we missed that. Don't Breathe 2? Yeah, I don't care. More like don't care to, am I right? Owned! <laughs> uh, Paw Patrol the movie? <laughs> okay. I, I have no witty retort for that. It's a movie for three-year-olds. Um, some Witcher movie. I don't know what it's about or what it does, or apparently it's on Netflix, though. Oh, it's a tie into the show, probably. Probably. Uh, Candyman. Neat. Uh, 
Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, good. I, 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 if there's one thing that I was excited about coming out of the pandemic, it was uh, fucking Marvel movies. That Cinderella movie with James Corden. I did that ever that came out I guess. That came out on Amazon. Yeah. Um fucking oh god what other sequels came out? I'm literally just going through fucking Wikipedia cuz I don't remember. Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, we did see that actually. <laughs> we did we did see that. We 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 might do a fireside chat later, but we did see it. Oh yeah. Um, My Little Pony a New Generation. Mhm. Venom 2, The Many Saints of Newark, The Addams Family 2, all in one week. <laughs> I, I am sorry we didn't end up getting to do a topical Venom episode. Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. Another Justin Bieber documentary. I, f- I feel like Justin Bieber's career hasn't nearly been interesting enough at this point to like warrant one documentary, let alone two or three or however much we're on right now. A prequel to Army of the Dead by Zack Snyder. Paranormal Activity, I think, 7. Okay. I, I, I didn't even know they were making more Paranormal Activity movies. Um, This uh, small independent film called Eternals by indie director Chloe Zhao. Mm-hmm. That's not about superheroes. Yeah. Well, that's like... So I'm not going to say I'm necessarily interested in it, because like my, my, my interest in most Marvel movies at this point is b- below flatlining. Mm-hmm. but like the fact that nobody really seems to like this one is kind of interesting to me for reasons I can't cut. I really can't qual- quantify. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm going to go in and it's either going to be like, like that. I, I'm going to be kind of a contrarian and say like, Oh, it, it it's like really weird, but like, at least it has like some ambition. It's just, it's nothing that can be accomplished under Marvel. Or like, yeah, this is actually just boring as shit, which would be probably probably what happened given like my opinion on the one other Chloe Zhao movie I've seen. Yes, um, and then we have Clifford the Big Red Dog and Home Sweet Home Alone. Is that is that another Home Alone movie? Yep, I believe this is Home Alone Six. Home Alone Six. How I feel I feel like that warranted more press than it than me hearing about it just now on a podcast it literally just got dumped on disney plus dude <laughs> like shit. oh wow okay yep they sure had faith in that one. Oh yeah they they're they're so so excited for it is um, macaulay culkin reprising his role from what i've heard no that is not surprising it it stars what's her nuts from the office and some kid all right i love some kid mm-hmm he was really great and so anyway what are we watching today (laughs) (laughs) you'll notice i missed one uh because it's the one we're talking about we are talking about dune dune this is uh we've i've had this on my radar for like uh, for basically since as far as i as far as i can remember anyway basically since the beginning of sequel decay because i think that's about when we knew that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I've all, I've been keeping an eye on it more or less. And obviously it was scheduled for release last year, but it got pushed uh, on account of, um, let me just check my notes here. COVID. Um, and 
it's it's finally out and good because dune is one of the more like fascinating media franchises ever Mm -hmm. i would say uh not just because like of the content of the stories itself but just because of like the production of like both the book i guess and the and the and the movies themselves Mm -hmm. so this is definitely one that i that i'm really excited about yeah no and we we figured what better way to start the show back up than to talk about three different auteurs and their different takes on Dune. And their different takes on doing drugs with your mom. Yes. Doing with Dune. More like Dune drugs with your mom. Am I right, fellas? Dude, you fucking got him. Dude. Yo. Hell yeah. Hey, yo. (laughs) Hey, bud. Got a light? (laughs) 420, dude. That's the weed number. Hell yeah, brother. 69, man. Like, That's my favorite sexy position that I do with my mom. After drugs. A... You okay, man? <laughs> Licking that <laughs> like it's the spice, y'all. Oh my god. Oh, I hated that. Oh, I hated that. Wow. <laughs> Brandon's in the other room probably going, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> all right, all right. So why don't why don't uh why don't you t- why don't you take the lead on uh what exact what 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 is the book that all of all of this all of this garbage, all this trash is based upon? Yeah, yeah, hand it to me after what I just said. Yeah, whoo! Um <laughs> And we're absolutely going to bleep that out. So anyone who guesses what I said wins a prize. Big prize. Big prize. Big prize. It's the big prize. Um, okay, so the book. So Dune is probably the quintessential sci-fi novel of the 20th century. Probably. Is that fair to say? I think that's not only fair, but extremely accurate. I think that's extremely accurate. So it was written by Frank Herbert, published in 1965. It is, I think, still the best-selling sci-fi novel in history. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. I, and, I have double-checked, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. And it is, like, by and large, one of the most influential pieces of science fiction ever just created, especially, like, especially if we look at its influences in the latter half of the 20th century, like... You look at, like, Star Wars, you look at the Riddick movies, like, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, Star mm-hmm. Trek, Mad Max, Planet of the Apes. Like, they all they all have some inkling of influence that stems from Dune. Any, anything that even, like, borders on, on a space opera has something that it owes to Dune. Mm-hmm. Be- and, like, as much as Star Wars is, like, probably the most profitable space opera of all time, uh... I think in in the in the purest form of of the, the space opera genre, which is maybe the most pretentious thing I've ever said, mm-hmm. it, like it's got to be Dune. Oh like, yeah, Dune, like, Dune is kind of the 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 zenith of everything. Yeah, I was gonna say that like Dune is basically the sparks of science fiction. Yeah, exactly. Especially like modern science fiction, where it's like before, like sci-fi was obviously a genre like as far back as even like the nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. but uh before that um and, and and like feel free to call me out on this because like I, i'm not an expert by any means 
but it was more so like uh speculation uh so like war of the worlds for instance uh what more more so had to was very very grounded in our reality Mm -hmm. actually um uh invasion of the body snatchers like there were still obviously stories about like space travel and stuff but uh nothing quite to the same scope as what we would end up seeing in dune a hundred percent now i guess just so we can kind of jump into the movies mm-hmm. you know because it's easier to just explain the plot of all of them by just explaining the plot of the book um, I, I, I'm gonna I, do I will a... say they all have very similar plots there's very there's actually very little difference mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just a matter of how coherent they are yeah exactly so i'm gonna very grossly sum up dune in the most crass way humanly possible Okay, well, which is fair, because, like, to act- accurately, like, summarize the plot of Dune, we would be here for two hours. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, to accurately sum it up, it's like, oh, it's a nightmare. But, mm-hmm. anyway, so, Dune. Dune your mom. Got Dune it. drugs with your mom. Hell yeah. To very, very broadly sum up Dune. Mm-hmm. Basically, it is a book about... Several noble houses in space that each basically take turns controlling this one planet called Arrakis. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arrakis is a very... What's the word I want to use? Harsh. Well, so- harsh? Oh, it's a harsh, desolate wasteland in a way. Mm-hmm. But it's also a very well-sought-after planet because that is where you go to get the spice mm-hmm. which is which is a lot of things really, it really i don't want to, I, I don't i don't want to go into everything that the spice encompasses mm-hmm. I, so, think, I think the most the most like important things to know about the spice is that it is both a very powerful hallucinogenic but also like a crucial ingredient for space travel which makes it like the most valuable substance in the universe. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's the most valuable it's the most valuable thing in the universe and basically the entire book is following the House of Atreides and how they take over the planet or take control of the planet, sorry. And the power struggles that come with that and how their their son Paul slow it's there's a lot of shit going on. <laughs> There's a lot of shit going on. Like basically Paul Paul Atreides is like also believed by um by uh and this is where I'm, I know we're going to start losing some people <laughs> describing the plot, but uh he Paul is the son of not only the Duke uh the Duke of Le- Duke Leto Atreides, but also his mother is a uh Benny Gesserit, which is basically just a just a uh almost like a society of women who are kind of behind every powerful house in uh in uh in the in the universe basically uh-huh. uh, and kind of steer the uh, steer imperial politics um and he is he paul is the result of an experiment by the bene Gesserit to essentially become the uh kwisatz Haderach, which is basically like a superhuman that is uh, around to i guess i guess steer I, I guess fully like dominate the world to the benefit of the Benny Gesserit. yeah he's 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 essentially just a bourgeois prophet Ex- yeah pretty much 
Uh, and but in the process, like a lot of the people of Arrakis, um, come to believe that he is the Lisan Al Gaib, who is all, like a messiah, a, mm-hmm. a messianic figure. Mm-hmm. And if that sounds weird and convoluted to you, you have not even heard the fucking beginning of it. <laughs> yeah, like, have we got some bad news for you? Holy shit. It only gets weirder. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like, this, this, oh, God, so fucking bizarre. But, um, no, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot to take in. It's a very dense, complex, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's a brilliant book. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just read what Neil Gaiman said in his introduction in 2016 to my copy of the book, mm-hmm. which is a very thick ass fucking hardcover, mm-hmm. but the words are big, so it makes it easier for me to read because mm-hmm. I'm stupid. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm just gonna quote him here. So Dune is, in retrospect, the best of the big 1960s sci-fi novels, and it's lasted better than most. Partly, this mm-hmm. is because it's set further into the future in a universe that is aggressively post-computer. But it was also the right book at the right time, which is to say it was just ahead of it, just ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, Frank Herbert was a writer and a journalist who understood ecology on a planetary scale. As people started to think and talk and write about ecology and about the life of a planet as a set of linked and complex systems, Dune was already there and ready for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this book's great. Yeah, it's... It looks I, I guess it's just... I guess we should start by saying that, like, as as weird and convoluted as it is, and as de- sheerly like as dense as it is, like, it really does feel kind of feel like three books in one. Oh yeah, uh, it is a f- masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it like 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 kind of you by way of Neil Gaiman mentioned, like, it is so intricate in its world building, kind of um. I almost wanted to say kind of in the same way of something that like a song, um, a song of ice and fire is like the books at least, yeah. uh, where it's, it's very like meticulous about like it, it's world building and especially the politics of that world. D- so Dune is as well, but like, not only does it talk about politics it like goes into like the different religious dynamics of the, of these societies. And like, like you mentioned, like, especially ecology, mm-hmm. like th- there's, like Arrakis itself feels alive. It, 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 Herbert does an extremely good idea of portraying this planet as like a living organism Mm -hmm. in, in and of itself beyond just the Fremen and the sandworms and the desert itself. Yeah. Like, you know, whenever people say things like, like in books or movies, like the setting itself becomes a character. It really feels that way in Doom. Absolutely. Like, and I, uh, to, uh, like, I, I, what, 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 sorry, I lost, I lost my train of thought for a second. Um, the, like, there, and the, another kind of aspect regarding the, the desert, beyond just the fact that, like, like, terraforming is an, is an ex- extremely, like, e- like, explored subject that I was not expecting it to talk about that much. Mm-hmm. Like the like the the protagonists actively want to terraform Dune to make it more habitable, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of w- with regards to the setting, it and this this kind of strays away from the ecology, but more and more towards kind of the political side. But like, I was shocked reading it how much like it basically predicts like the Iraq War. <laughs> yeah, I was. Um... Yeah, I was going to say, like, this really stood the test of time politically. I don't want to say that this book is ahead of its time, because I don't really believe in that. 
yeah phrase like it, it's the same as those people that say like oh the simpsons predicted this it's like no it's just that like shit hasn't fundamentally changed in the last x amount of years yeah like, like herbert herbert was clearly writing in response to the world around him which that's not a novel statement every writer does that mm-hmm. um and what he saw what uh, happening around him because there's always been like this kind of dynamic in the uh, dynamic in the middle east it's just like it didn't really come to a head until like maybe the 80s uh where where like basically it was imperial powers jockeying for control over an extremely resource rich uh, a region of the planet that was both extremely resource rich but also very harsh mm-hmm. and uh full of people who and I'm not going to get too much into like the, 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 the kind of the, the, like the superhuman aspects of the Fremen, because I think applying that to real life is a, is a little iffy, risky. Uh, little, a little risky. Uh, we don't do race science here on, here on sequel decay. Uh, but it, it's a very harsh part of the, of the world full of people who like have grown up with that harshness and have experienced it and have, and are re- and respond to it and sometimes that manifests in violent ways mm-hmm. uh but and of course like the first thing we think about is the iraq war like like i mentioned earlier but this the kind of the seeds for this war being planted in w- like in the time that herbert was writing dune mm-hmm. uh the, the, you saw like a lot of middle eastern governments like kind of rising and falling based on how well they get along with kind of the imperial powers of the day whether it was uh the united states or or the british empire or france like you saw a dynamic that was very similar to kind of what we see with um both uh the atreides and the harkonnens vis-a-vis kind of the imperium where the imperium kind of pits them against each other to suit its own interests oh yeah well that's exactly it and Hmm. Yes, it's it's more relevant today, especially post nine eleven. Mm-hmm. However, like I, I, I would sorry, say that post nine eleven really really heightened the 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 visibility of this kind of dynamic. Oh oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like I no like this is yeah like this book is more relevant today than it would have been say back in sixty five, and even then you can you you can even like if you wanted even blatantly disregard the middle eastern influence that is littered throughout this book and you shouldn't because oh, yeah. that's stupid and careless yeah like, like th- this book is littered with arabic by mm-hmm. the way <laughs> oh yeah littered with it but like you know if you were even to disregard that which would be irresponsible and stupid mm-hmm. you could you could apply this to like literally every single fucking conflict going so far back as like colonization you could like hell if if you really wanted to like kind of stretch it a bit you could make it you could make again it would be a stretch like you could make like a very vague argument that this is a response to vietnam even that's true Um, uh you which would be more more so in line with uh herbert's time because i think at, at the writing like it wasn't I don't know if the Vietnam War would have started officially by the time he was done writing, but certainly like the 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 French and the quote unquote French Indochina Wars were in full swing. Oh, 100 mm-hmm. percent. So like, there's there's a lot of different things where you can go. Ah, uh, yes, we can we can like, it doesn't like it. It's not just you know 
the invasion of the Middle East that's been happening for, let me just check my notes here, forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, we can apply this to, yeah, like like I said, even as far back as, like, colonization, we can we can take the, like, if, if, if Frank Herbert wrote this in, like, 1830, we could say that this was, this was a response to, you know, the, you know, colonization of Africa. You can, yeah. like, there's so many different places you can apply this to. Yeah, you could say uh, kind of the the natural resources in the Americas. You could say, uh-huh. like, even, like, lumber and beaver pelts in, in Canada, if you want to, if you want to focus yep. on Canada. Yep, like... Um, like, you, like you mentioned, kind of, like, diamonds in Africa, even. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it does, it like, it, another reason I think it fits so well with the Middle East is because, like oil kind of is does suit a similar purpose to spice i was gonna say yeah like basically like when when we were mentioning the spice earlier i was gonna say like it literally is just oil yeah yeah basically like i mean i I don't think you should like smoke oil but it's not it's not a powerful hallucinogenic you will die but uh (laughs) otherwise like especially with regards to its per the using it for space travel like oil is i I mean i I, our audiences aren't babies so i don't need to tell them this but like oil is essential for travel around the world today Mm -hmm. and governments and economies kind of rise and fall based on it i mean just look just look at alberta yeah exactly um also yes we should kind of double back a bit you're right stefan four to five dentists do not recommend you smoke oil (laughs) Take that from me, somebody who spent the first half of his life driving up to Fort McMurray and just inhaling fumes. Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just imagining, like, Dr. Oz going on Oprah or some shit and being like, actually, uh, th- there is science that proves that you can smoke oil, and it is a very powerful hallucinogenic. Please, please, please. Not Dr. Oz. Gwyneth Paltrow. No, that's not twee enough for Gwyneth Paltrow. I guess fair enough. Unlike Gwyneth Paltrow, more like Gwyneth Petro, am I right, fellas? Oh! A couple more things about Dune, and then I'm just going to kind of go into our general thoughts about the book and then move the fuck on from there, because this is going to be a dense episode. Dune's a big deal. Dune's a big deal. We've already established this. There's a lot going on. It's very fucking dense thematically, story-wise, like, all of it. Even, Mm -hmm. like I said, even trying to scratch the surface of this, even if you want to ignore so much of its influence so much of what was going through frank herbert's head at the time it's still an incredibly dense piece of literature yeah um and this led to five sequels to the book being written like most notably children of dune and dune messiah come up a lot and then frank Mm -hmm. herbert's son brian continued the series after 1999 um after frank herbert passed away and i've also included a little fun fact about me so when I was younger and dumber and much more full of cummer, I... great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I avoided Dune like the fucking plague initially. Mm-hmm. Like I, I refused to read it. I, I know exactly why I refused to read it because I was really dumb, and I actually got Frank Herbert mixed up with L. Ron Hubbard all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And I th- might be just because of the similar last names, I guess. Maybe. 
like when you're 15 and stupid like i sure i guess they and like i i like i knew who l ron hubbard was because like i knew like he was this old sci-fi writer who you know created scientology <laughs> and uh you know just because of the scientology thing it was like i'm not gonna fucking read dune it was written by that scientology guy and then eventually i remembered oh right Frank Herbert's not a Scientologist. He didn't write Battlefield Earth. Mm -hmm. I can read Dune now and not feel like shit about it. Yeah. This I, is I, this is what liberalism does to you folks. I think uh with to be fair to you at fifteen, um, if you look at Dune and like first of all you don't read it and just look at its at, at the plot on a very surface surface level. You would you could be forgiven for thinking this was like cultist propaganda or something. <laughs> Just on a very, 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 very surface level, in the sense that it that the main character is like pretty literally a messiah who is the best at everything mm -hmm. and starts forming like a, a following of people. Obviously, once you like actually read the story, that kind of falls apart. Yeah, because that's a very gross misreading of it, but um... it's a, it's an extremely gross misreading of it. Yes. Um, but Eventually, and, and this was probably a blessing in disguise, too, because, like, I, I finally started, I finally read Dune in college, and I feel like if I read it in high school, I wouldn't appreciate it, so I'm actually really glad I am mm. an idiot, because my own stupidity kind of saved me from being very confused, I guess, because, like, I, I, sorry? That's one way of looking at it. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I really appreciate what it did. I, I really appreciate kind of the impact it had on me when I read it at the time. Have I read it since? No. It's Chris, a very why... hard book to reread. I, I was going to say, Chris, why haven't you reread Dune since college? I thought you'd be more prepared for sequel decay. And first of all, I say, of course not, you fucking idiot. If you listen to our show, it sucks. Second of all, <laughs> you know, it's like you said, it's a fucking dense book to read. Like, it's... You read it once and you go, holy shit. And then you just kind of go, I'll read it again at some point when I have children. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, to, 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 like, to give my, my experience with the book real quick, because I, I'm going to come back to the sheer denseness of it in a sec. Um, my mom was actually a huge fan of the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, she, when she was, uh, like, I don't know how young, but young. Uh, her family was doing a wide trip, uh, a wide trip, a road trip, uh, to Texas and cause we had, we had family there. Uh, and on the way back when they were going through Wyoming, uh, my grandpa needed to burn cash. So he just gave my mom some money to do whatever with, and she bought Dune and read it all the way through Wyoming because what the fuck else are you going to do in Wyoming? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, and she, so it's, it, she loves, she loves the book. She's read the sequels. Um, I have not. I I have no idea what goes on in the sequels, uh, and uh, she was actually put trying to push Dune on me when I was like eight, <laughs> because if there's one thing that an eight year old would comprehend and uh, just absorb, it would it would be fucking Dune. <laughs> That's like handing a six year old Watership down and going, "Have fun." Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I, I I heard from her that first that the. The first opinions I heard on the David Lynch movie were hers, so I'll, I'll come back to that. Mm. Uh, mm. Um, so I, I actually held off on reading Dune until this year because uh, we were, we were going to do the show on it, and I figured, okay, I'm going to start this in like March 
and uh you know i'll finish up early enough so i can at least have a bit of a background and i can kind of finish i can kind of watch the other stuff unencumbered chris it took me nine months it took me nine months to read one book i do this so fucking dense holy shit i i i also want to add that i think i found a i think i found a paperback of dune in my old apartment lobby Mm -hmm. and that's the copy you have right now yeah that is i'm remembering correctly Uh uh-huh so yeah so i think like if i because i think i found it i was like okay well i have a copy of dune but i also know stefan wants to read this it's probably good that he reads it at some point because it's like it's a really good book Mm -hmm. so i thought no fuck it i'll give it to him so Mm -hmm. i give him dune i forget when i I, it had to be sometime last year because it was during the pandemic I want to say it was earlier last year. Earlier last year, yeah. And yeah, you started reading it in March. You finished it yesterday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it, it, like, <laughs> I, part of that is that I just have a really, I've just developed a really bad habit of, like, reading books, like, voraciously for a day and then, like, not touching them for a few months. Uh, that That's, that's on my bad. Like, I, I haven't, like, actually had, like, for lack of a better word, good reading habits since, like, before university. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, also, like, it it feels, with Dune, it feels like it takes you hours and hours to read, like, a couple dozen pages. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of information to get through. None of this is bad, by the way. No, no. God, no. This it's a it's a it's also beautifully written by the way like the, none none of the none of the adaptations really convey like kind of the heightened dialogue really, mm-hmm. but it almost feels like almost like almost like Shakespearean really, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, especially like it, it's one of the few like space operas that is actually written kind of operatically. Well, exactly. Um, but yeah, like there's. There's very few books because I, I it didn't take me nine months. I think it took me like three or four. Yeah. Um, but mind you, I also read all of Stephen King's It in like a month, so mm. kind of used to it. Like, like for me, Dune is more fucking dense than that. But like, mm-hmm. you know, if it like if it takes me about three or four months to read Dune, like that's a long time for me. Like I've I've read like novellas in like an afternoon. Yeah. So I I get through shit quickly, but mm-hmm. no, like it, it took me a while too, um, and yeah, I'm basically the same way. Like I I haven't read it since because like it's an undertaking of a book to read, mm-hmm. but it's also like fucking beautiful. <laughs> yeah, like what what really once you read it like the first time, I think it kind of sticks with you for the rest of your life of mm-hmm. your life because I don't know that my mom has necessarily reread it. Mm-hmm. is the thing and she is she's retained it for does for like literally decades oh yeah like it's it's one of those books where like you're not gonna sit there and go i want to reread that again right away it's gonna take you a few decades to even think about it but like mm-hmm. yeah like it is i i think it's one of the most complex dense fucking books I've ever read in my life. We will not be able to do it justice on this show. Like we might as well just throw in the towel and say goodnight. Yeah. But we'll have to do what we can like laterally when we talk about the movies. Basically. Yeah. Um, speaking of the movies, Mm -hmm. um, 
There have been several different attempts at trying to adapt this fucking book. Um, most of them extremely unsuccessful. Most of them extremely unsuccessful. So much like Lord of the Rings, which was a huge influence on Dune as well. Speaking of fucking world building, Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And also Watchmen. Um, this, like, the book was, like, just considered straight up unfilmable for the longest time. Yep. Um, the first major attempt to adapt Dune was in 1971 when Appjack International got the film rights. And they were considering... David Lean, who did Lawrence of Arabia to direct it, and Charles Jarrett to direct it as well. Um, Both of them fucking turned it down. Gee, I wonder why. Um, Mm -hmm. And the head of the studio, Arthur P. Jacobs, died in 73 before they could even find a director or finish a script. And then the rights were purchased by Jean-Paul Gibbon with um, Hodorowski um, set to direct. Alejandro Hodorowski being the guy who directed El Topo, and the Holy mm. Mountain, most yeah. notably. Basically, extremely, extremely bizarre surreal movies. Surreal, yeah, like, basically, like, when we talk about, like, surrealism and avant-garde in cinema, like, half the time we're talking about Hodorowski. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically, for better and worse, the Salvador Dali of filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a documentary is out there if you ever want to, like... If you're ever sitting there going, huh, I wonder what Hodorowski's take on Dune would be like. There is a documentary, it exists, it's an hour and a half, and it's it's great. It's it's, it's, it's a really good. fun documentary, and I recommend it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think uh, to, to kind of stick on this for a minute, because I think it is worth talking about a little bit. Yeah. Um, Hodorowski, like, again, for better and very, like, we're not going to go into it, but often for worse, uh, is kind of the perfect choice for dune at least in theory Mm -hmm. um because dune is an extreme an extremely bizarre book with with a lot of connections to hallucinations and almost almost psychedelic uh psychedelic imagery there's a reason it like was kind of um kind of why it was what's the word it was kind of associated with for lack of a better word kind of the prog rock crowd yeah uh like it, it, it like even Hodorowski mentions that like the the his his soundtrack for the hypothetical Dune movie would have been very uh I th- I think I forget if he said like he would have had wanted Pink Floyd to compose it but like he was inspired by Dark Side of the Moon yeah um so I I have some notes here based on you know both my memory of the movie doing a little bit of you know research just to make sure I got everything right um. Mm-hmm. So the script has been described as like literally the size of a fucking phone book and the mm. movie would have been somewhere between 12 to four or sorry, 10 to 14 hours long. So I want to, I want to, I want to put a, I want to stop here for a second because like the, the documentary itself kind of does this thing where it kind of frames the, the fact that this movie wasn't made as like studios being like scared of, uh, of Hodorowsky's vision. That's the one thing I hate about it actually. Yeah, I was going to say, like, no, it's because Hodorowsky is extremely fucking stubborn, and no fucking studio ever is going to make a 10-hour movie. No, no, like, and that's best-case scenario, it's 10 hours. Like, Mm -hmm. this is, that's the thing, so I'm, okay, look, I'm going to be outright, so I, I, I really like El Topo, minus that one thing. Yeah. I really like Holy Mountain despite the fact that both of those films make me uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. However, I also think Alejandro Hodorowski is 
without a doubt, one of the most arrogant fucking people on the fucking planet. Yeah. Because I want to say that he was getting this shit together, what, right after Holy Mountain came out? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. So, like, sometime after Holy Mountain came out. I believe this would have been his first movie outside of the Mexican film industry. Yes. So this would have been his, his big Hollywood movie. And... You know, beyond this, it was basically just midnight movies. Like, El Topo is considered one of the quintessential midnight films. I'd even Mm -hmm. say that about Holy Mountain. Yeah. Like, the people who went and saw Holy Mountain in a theater in the 70s were fucked out of their minds. Yeah. Like, the people said, oh yeah, I got baked and saw 2001 and 68. Like, no. These motherfuckers were doing, like, copious amounts of LSD and ketamine just to get to that fucking movie. It yeah. is insane. Um, th- this this tracks, because, like, what with regards to Dune, Hodorowski says, like, uh, it something, he says in the movie, he says something along the lines of, like, I don't want, the, I don't want this movie to, like, prompt people to take LSD before watching it. I want this movie to be the LSD. <laughs> That's such a fucking arrogant thing to say. Anyway, I think of he's course, but it, but I, but I, I'm just saying it tracks. Oh no, it tracks. He's he's an arrogant prick, but it tracks. So mm. basically, but yeah, he had been making basically cult movies up until this point. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you think any major Hollywood studio would say to him, "We are going to give you a massive fucking budget, and we are going to let you make"? a 14-hour opus at at the longest and 10 at the shortest? Mm-hmm. No. Because they wouldn't even let David Lynch make a five-hour Dune. Yeah, like, the, the the thing about this movie is it does really frame it as kind of like an artist versus, versus the industry kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And it leaves out, like, or at least it kind of obfuscates the fact that Hodorowsky was not really a known quantity for Hollywood. No. <laughs> it... it it would be something along the same lines as giving like, like a, just a stoner movie or a slasher movie director, the reins to well Dune, I guess. Uh, like it was, it, it was just never going to happen. And it, it's odd that they would frame it as like this, like struggle of one artist against, against the system when like, really like logically speaking, like they were never going to take that risk and much less for a, for a 12 hour fucking movie. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Um, And the other reason why the movie never got made was because, like, the budget just kept getting higher and fucking higher and fucking higher. Like, Mm. let's let's just quickly look at some of the people he wanted to get involved in this production. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about the budget real quick. So he wanted... Gloria Swanson, David Carradine, Amanda Lear, Udo Kier, that rhymed, Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. Orson Welles, and to bring it all back, he wanted Salvador Dali in the movie. Yeah, he wanted him to play the Padisha Emperor. Exactly, and Dali was asking for $100,000 an hour, and I've heard different takes on this. Like, I think the documentary says that, like, Hodorowski was willing to give him $100,000 a minute. Yeah. Um, I've also heard that... Like, I mean, they're all basically the same story, like, in a roundabout way. So, like, I think in the documentary, it's like, Hodorowski said, like, oh, I'm, I'm willing to give him $100,000 a minute. That's stupid. Um, mm-hmm. And then he only, like, shot three to, f- like, he only shot with him for three to five minutes. Yeah. Um, the other story I've heard, and this is more logical, is that 
Dolly says, all right, $100,000 an hour, and Hodorowski just went, okay, then we are shooting with you for an hour. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Which, I mean, that does make sense. Like, the Emperor isn't in the book for very long. Oh, exactly. Um, and um, the, the short I, version of this is, like, Hodorowski just used him for, like, the least amount of time humanly possible. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a scene near the end of the movie where, like, Hodorowski gets, like, very, very agitated because he... This is kind of where the frustration that he wasn't able to make his movie comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, he pulls out, a, pulls out money and says, like, this is nothing. This is nothing. Why would this stifle my ability to make art? This is nothing. And, like, it, it, I like that scene, but I also kind of hate it. Mm -hmm. uh, on one hand, because it does kind of show, like... It's this encapsulation of, like, pure and adulterated artistic passion, even if it is very pretentious. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Alejandro, money is real. <laughs> money is, you can't, like, you can't just assume that, 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 that a studio is going to throw that much fucking money at your project when you've shown no reason that you'll be able to deliver on it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, in in a perfect world, we would be able to make whatever we want, but, like, and this is where people online who say that, like, oh, money isn't real, why don't we just do whatever we want with it? And usually I agree with them, and, like, in, in a, I, I agree with whatever it is they're trying to argue for, but, like, it doesn't change the fact that money is real. Mm -hmm. Like, it is an actual commodity that has an actual value, and... I'm sorry, like, a company like, a Hollywood studio especially is just not going to take risks with it if they can avoid it. No, exactly. And, like, look, I will I will sit here and scream fuck the studio system all day and night for a number of reasons. Because mm -hmm. there have been so many times where they've unjustly just stifled a creator's vision. Yeah. I can name six in the last five years. Yeah. Now, in Hodorowski's case... It really does just seem like, look, I, I, I respect, I respect the hustle. I admire, I admire his ambition. It's, it's great. Like you want to make a really big, big, beautiful, just bombastic dune, give her hell. You mm -hmm. want to do that? That's awesome. I really respect that. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. But dude like and this was before you know anyone was taking television remotely seriously like this would have been a fine miniseries yeah like oh for sure like if warner brothers said to him like hey we're gonna give you a hundred million dollars you can make your your take on dune and you know we can do a 10 to 10 to 14 hour thing but it's gonna be a miniseries like this yeah. isn't gonna get a theatrical release which i think and would be the thing that pisses him off yeah I, th I think he would be upset about that but i think it would work the best and like even like uh, afterwards he said, he said like when he, he didn't get to make Dune. So he, and, uh, I forget, I forget who else, one of the producers decided to write a, make a comic instead, Ling Kao. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't read it, but honestly, like a Dune, uh, a version of Hodorowsky's Dune in comic book form sounds great. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, but basically, yeah, it comes down to like, look, if, if I was in a studio's position and someone came up to me and said, I need all this money to cast all these fucking people and get Pink Floyd to do the music, because he was considering Floyd for the score. Um, right. You know, and I need all this fucking money to make this, like, 14-hour opus based on this novel that, you know, a lot of people have read, but also, like, you a know... A lot of people haven't. <laughs> a lot of people haven't, and a lot of people are... 
you know, a lot of mass audiences aren't going to completely comprehend right away, especially through Hodorowski's vision. Like, Hodorowski's a genius. I, with caveats, obviously, but, like, Hodorowski's mm-hmm. a great filmmaker. He makes mm-hmm. great movies. I would not recommend Hodorowski's movies to 99% of the people I know. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, that's the thing, is, like, it's going to be a very alienating film for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe, yeah, I'd probably get something out of it. I'd probably think it's great, for the most part. Mm. I, I like, he, he was going to cast his 12-year-old son, Brontus, as fucking Paul. I don't want to know what he would fucking do with Brontus, because, uh, I've yeah. seen El Topo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so, you know... I love how this is just turning into a shock jock morning zoo show every time I retch. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this fucking show. I hate this fucking show. Um, no, but like, and and that's a more age appropriate decision for the role of Paul than like Kyle MacLachlan or Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, but you know, again, like it's it's just something that I think most people are just gonna sit there, scratch their heads, and go, what? Mm-hmm. excuse me yeah exactly what what the fuck is this yeah and it would you know and I, hell i don't even know how much i would get out of it because like there comes a point when you're watching something that's 12 to 14 hours long mm-hmm. and you just kind of go oh come on like because that's the thing i i personally don't think dune needs to be a 10 to 14 hour film i think at the absolute longest it can be about four four and a half hours yeah, which I, I think is, spoiler alert, kind of what we're going to end up seeing with uh, the Denis Villeneuve two-parter. I have a feeling that one's going to be... I, I feel like the next one's going to be closer to three. Well, but closer to that time range, I mean. Yeah, it's it's going to be... It's, it's, I still think it's going to be too fucking long, but, I mean, you know, I, I, put I it think... Th- put, put it this way, like, I think... And let's, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I think, like, the time range that we're looking at for the Denis Villeneuve movies is like the longest it could possibly be for a Dune movie to still be like commercially and critically viable. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So like originally the budget was like what, nine and a half million dollars. And then it kind of kept growing and growing to the point where it was like $15 million, but they were struggling to get the other $5 million and they had already Mm -hmm. spent $2 million in pre-production. Yeah. Which is fucking insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, which kind of leads me to believe that there's more stuff going on behind the scenes that maybe the documentary lets on. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, like, I like the documentary is extremely one-sided, and if you can take that with a grain of salt, I do recommend it, because it, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting mm-hmm. to think about what could have been, but, mm-hmm. uh, alas. Yeah. I... I uh, I agree. I, I I also recommend the documentary. Like I think it is a really interesting story, and if you can get kind of besides like the very obvious slanting of it in one direction, like you, you it, it's great. Um, I I will say that I it does everything you mentioned and everything that we've mentioned, but also it kind of makes like a claim that like every science fiction story based on based on it, the, like that comes afterwards is like in a way based on Hodorowsky's Dune, which is dubious. I would say I, I I really really like that scene in the documentary where Hodorowski just stands in front of the bathroom mirror and just starts aggressively masturbating while thinking about Flash Gordon. <laughs> I mean, hey, we've all been there. Um, 
I that, that could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love Tuesdays. Um, <laughs> but uh, I like it's just a very like because i think it that's that has more to do with those works being influenced on dune than anything else like mm -hmm. dune the book uh like where especially where they say like oh but like the 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 sword play in star wars was very seems very influenced by the by the by the storyboards in dune it's like not really it it, 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 it honestly like it feels like it pays more homage to like samurai movies in yeah that like sense. yeah like i think the more blatant homage like obviously like there's like certain things you can credit to doom but i would credit them to the book first not yeah exactly self-aggrandizing prick um yeah. and it, like like also with alien which is the other it's it's like oh but like uh the the style in alien was very similar to the the style that hr giger was officially using for the uh, originally gonna use for the harkonnen palace and in dune it's like yeah but that was hr giger's style before he started working on dune mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> like, like... It, it's a very tenuous link. Jesus Christ. Like, it, it breaks my heart. Um, now, if I have to talk about Hodorowski any longer, I might have to shoot myself, so we're going to move on. Understandable. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a big fan of him as a person. Um, <laughs> so, after Hodorowski's Dune crashed and burned, mm. thank God, um... <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis, who you may know is the producer of such hit films as Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, uh, Flash Gordon, Blue Velvet, list goes on. There's, there's a, he's, he had his name on a lot of shit in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, he purchased the film rights and commissioned Frank Herbert to write this new screenplay. Um, and they had Ridley Scott attached to direct it at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, this was right at, like, this was right around the time when Alien was coming out, you know, Ridley Scott was going to do Dune. Um, Frank Herbert hands in a script that's 175 pages long. Dino De Laurentiis looks at him and goes, are you fucking serious right now? Cut it down. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was eventually kind of rewritten by, um, by Rudy Wurlitzer, um, because mm -hmm. it was so fucking long. It was basically just an attempt to try to condense this thing down to something that at the time was more, you know, palatable than a three-hour film and this is the this is the late 70s early 80s I'll, I'll i'll yeah and i'll also note that like while t while while today like movies of that length are more common it's more so for established properties like this was still not gonna that length was still not gonna fly in the 80s for no. a blockbuster no god no uh especially because like blockbusters were just becoming a thing at this point right like um, yeah exactly because shortly after de Laurentiis purchased the rights this is right around the time when jaws was the first film to cross the hundred million dollar mark at the box office mm -hmm. so like you know, they're not going to take a fucking risk and be like, we're going to put out a three-hour epic and hope it even does half as well as Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, so eventually Ridley Scott drops out to direct Blade Runner, which is actually really ironic because Denis Villeneuve moves on to do Dune immediately after doing Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, that's um, true. That's super, true, yeah. super cool um, mm -hmm. how time works. Um, mm -hmm. So... After Scott drops out, Dino De Laurentiis has to renegotiate the rights, and he ends up getting the rights to the sequel books as well, because he thinks that this is going to be the big, big money train, baby. Mm -hmm. um, and his daughter, Rafaela, says to him, You ever considered that David Lynch fella for Dune? Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to talk about David Lynch for a minute. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> Welcome back to the program, everyone. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> fuck, here we go. David Lynch time. Yes. Um, I so, believe it's the first David Lynch movie we've talked about on the show, like, officially, too. This is this is officially the first David Lynch movie we've talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. So, David Lynch had just come off of directing The Elephant Man around this time, because The Elephant Man would have come out in eighty. Um, and if they asked him around 81, 82, yeah, that tracks. Um, so yeah, he just came off directing the elephant man, uh, which was produced by Mel Brooks. It was kind of his, it's not his big, big Hollywood break, but it was like close enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and despite the fact that like, yeah, cause this would have been, yeah. Cause elephant man would have been right after Eraserhead. So Eraserhead comes out. It's a huge midnight thing fucking mel brooks comes to him and goes hey i'm gonna give you some money you just want to kind of make something that's Mm -hmm. like relatively accessible but like still you still you Mm -hmm. and he goes yes um (laughs) so so yeah no but he you know and the elephant man was like really really successful it was a huge player during award season that year it was nominated for eight oscars um lynch was nominated for best director like he's really getting his name out there it's a huge deal um and immediately after the elephant man he had been approached by so many different people about so many different projects like most notably he was offered the chance to return or direct return of the jedi yep um which, which is a bizarre fit. There is oh my god, imagine David Lynch doing the Ewoks, man. I don't I don't want to. No, I want to. That sounds I kinda, incredible. I kinda want to. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it's like David Lynch creating those Ewoks, those oh my god, they would be oh. like and I and I feel like like there are certain aspects of like a David Lynch directed Star Wars movie that sound absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And there is a video of him on YouTube like very explicitly talking about it like i think at one point he straight up says like he went to george lucas's house to talk to him because i think his agent or his lawyer or something said go to george lucas's house because this could be the biggest payday of your fucking life and he goes well i do like money so he goes to george (laughs) lucas's house i fucking love that man he's a fucking gem um (laughs) so david lynch goes to george lucas's house george lucas is explaining all this shit to him and he goes and as he's explaining it to me I'm getting the biggest headache of my fucking life. (laughs) (laughs) And he's basically like having, he's got this giant migraine. He feels like he's having a panic attack and he just kind of goes, I can't fucking do this. There's no fucking way I can do this. And David Lynch is like, I said, his agent or his lawyer or whatever it was kind of went, no, you don't have to. Right. (laughs) And he goes, Oh, well that case, uh, no, (laughs) You know there's no gun to your head, right? <laughs> oh, well, fucking say no more. Uh, I'm good, thanks. You have fun with that. I'm going home now. Thanks for lunch. And he just fucking leaves. I'm going, to, I'm going home to write Blue Velvet somehow. <laughs> Actually, he would have he been working on writing Blue Velvet at this point. Yeah, the timeline does track. Yeah, the timeline does track, because I think, like... Anyway, well, I'll get into that in a minute, but, um... He, he, anyway, so Dino De Laurentiis comes up to him and goes, okay, I know you just turned down Star Wars, <laughs> but how would you feel about doing Dune? 
David Lynch had not read the book. Mm-hmm. He had no fucking idea what Dune was, nor did he really give a shit. <laughs> um, but I guess Dino De Laurentiis said something to him because he just kind of shrugged and went, "Okay, I'm sure." Yeah. Um, it, like the only the only thing I know for sure is like Dino De Laurentiis basically kind of promised him, or kind of led him to believe he would have a lot more creative control on this than he actually did. Yeah, because I'm sure he did end up reading it in preparation for the for the the movie I, I, unless unless you have information otherwise i mean i i don't actually know knowing david lynch it could go either way but like yeah that's true uh, um but like i i kind of go back and forth on whether like in it makes like sense to hire david lynch to do dune because in some aspects like noticeably some of the more bizarre aspects i think absolutely mm-hmm. but david lynch doing a space opera like it's the same reason why i think him doing star wars sounds like so not right uh it, it kind of the same for dune although just because dune is that much weirder and meta and like uh delves so much into like the the psychological aspect of that that david lynch has frequently frequently touched upon like it makes a little more sense but it's still an odd fit mm-hmm. um so he he came back to the people he wrote the elephant man with and he said like all right let's do this we're, we're doing mm-hmm. dune and they go, oh boy! And then they wrote two drafts together, mm-hmm. um, which eventually kind of led them to kind of go their separate ways because of creative differences. And David Lynch wrote five more fucking drafts afterwards. So even if he hadn't read the book, he had a rough idea. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm assuming so. one of those three guys read the fucking book. And, and like, I will say, like, with the final movie, like, it is a Dune movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. He got he got like at least the general plot beats completely right. Mm-hmm. Um, and because this was David Lynch's first big Hollywood movie, mm. it was what's the word I want to use? Um, it must have been very stressful for him. Mm-hmm. But and he he did have a lot of anxiety about it. Yeah, he did. Um, you know. Um, like, but somehow he was still able to kind of keep his cool during production. He wasn't trying to be a dick to anybody. Like, he never gave off the, uh, Hodorowski vibe. Yeah. Of, <laughs> I'm gonna be an asshole to everybody. Um, uh-huh. there's, there's a quote from Sting in, um, the book Room to Dream. I did a lot of research for this. Um. Clearly. Uh, there's a quote from Sting in Room to Dream where he's kind of just talking about David Lynch on set. And he goes, I was amazed that David went from making this tiny little movie in black and white to this huge canvas. And I was impressed by how calm he was about it. I never had the sense he was overwhelmed and everyone loved him. He remained peachy keen throughout. Yeah. Which, which is the David Lynch promise. Like he will make the most fucked up psycho shit on the planet and he'll still be like, all right, let's do that again. Yeah. Like, uh, the the only time that I've ever seen, like, visual evidence of David Lynch getting mad on set or, like, during production is the, I think, I think one scene dur- during the production of Twin Peaks Season 3 where he starts getting agitated about somebody telling him that he can't do a scene about uh, somebody just sweeping the floor for five minutes, I believe, was it? <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. Was it? But, like, this is going to tie into what we're to do, absolutely, but, like, everybody who's ever worked with him uh, unless they are like people who are themselves assholes, seem to love David Lynch. Oh yeah, that's 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 why you see like Naomi Watts, Kyle MacLachlan, Laura Dern, fucking um, Everett McGill, like um, Jack Nance, 
may he rest mm-hmm. in peace um and so on and so forth they that's why he has so many regulars kind of coming in and out is because like he is just one of the best people to work with because he's just such a cool guy yeah exactly uh very parasocial of you to say chris thank you um <laughs> thank no, you but... i do not deny it and in fact i encourage i encourage parasocial relationships with david lynch by the way yes yes uh, that's what simp- we should take away from this simp for lynch boys um <sighs> and anyway but it was and it was a very it was a very difficult shoot for him because one like this was a huge 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 new step for him mm-hmm. and two he didn't get that final cut he was promised. He didn't get that creative control he was led to believe he was going to get um, because Dino De Laurentiis had final cut on the film and he wanted something that was easily accessible, something that was, um, you know, something that was easier to process for a general audience because, like, you are literally just putting out Dune for the masses. You're not putting out Dune for the art house crowd. Um, Yeah. And that kind of thing doesn't work for David Lynch. Um, we know for sure that his original cut was give or take about five hours long. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it would have turned out. Nobody really does. Um, Rafaela De Laurentiis did straight up say though, that like, she doesn't think it would have been any better. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, quote, it was impenetrable. If you were even able to stay awake. Yeah. Yeah. However, in however, I mean, she's not really a neutral player in this, but yeah, she's not really a neutral player in this. And like, I, I mean, I can definitely see that a five hour Dune movie would be different again. Like yeah. I'm also thinking five hours straight in a theater, right? Like again, if this was put out mm-hmm. as a miniseries on HBO max and be like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is not a five hour miniseries being put out on HBO max. This is something going straight to the theater. And knowing David Lynch and his disdain for chapter selections, there probably wasn't going to be a fucking intermission either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of get where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And this is coming from the David Lynch stamp. Mm-hmm. Um, however, to counterpoint this as well, Dino De Laurentiis has even come out and said straight up, we destroyed Dune in the editing room. Yeah, so, which I think is probably the more damning quote. Which is probably the more damning quote. Because he had Final Cut. Mm-hmm. so uh he's uh i i blame him um mm-hmm. now i'm gonna read some fun little quotes here from david lynch about uh <laughs> about dune and then we're gonna move on to talk about dune um so this is from uh catching the big fish which is his little coffee table book about transcendental meditation oh yeah uh-huh. Anyway. Just a little um, Tuesday read. Just a little Tuesday read. Uh, oh, you're having lunch? Grilled cheese and t- grilled cheese and tomato soup? You have a little I, lunch? I, yeah, I like to I like to fit in reading Catching the Big Fish on Transcendental Meditation by David Lynch in between sessions of looking in the mirror and jacking myself off to my version of Dune. Quote, when I made Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, should I do this in David Lynch's voice? <clears throat> I'd love it if you did, but I'm not going to hold you to it. I wish I could smoke in this fucking room. That would make <laughs> it even better. Just, just, because, like, I'm imagining he smoked, like, seven cigarettes as he was saying this out loud. Yeah. <clears throat> Alright, so this is from Catching the Big Fish in 2006. Um, <laughs> When I made Dune, 
I didn't have Final Cut. <laughs> it was a huge, huge sadness because I <laughs> felt I had sold out. And mm -hmm. on top of that, the film was a failure at the box office. <laughs> if you do what you believe in and have a failure, that's one thing. You can still live with yourself. But if you don't like it, it's like dying twice. It's very, very painful. I love David Lynch's like recurring phrase of like something that he is personally extremely mad about. He just calls it a huge sadness. Yeah, like the like the fucking uh, watching a movie on your phone thing. It's such a sadness. <laughs> <laughs> and the, he just is like visibly enraged. Oh, oh yeah, no, it's no, no, it's slow. No, gradually he gets pissier. Yeah. It's such yeah. a sadness to think that you're watching a film on your fucking telephone <laughs> get real, get real. <laughs> i love that so much he is such a gem and like yeah. first of all if any of you in the audience have not watched a single david lynch interview i recommend nothing more than just going through that youtube rabbit hole because everybody i've introduced to david lynch i always start with just go through the interviews just yeah. go listen to him talk Mm -hmm. because you're going to be like, this man's an absolute saint, and then you're going to watch Twin Peaks, you go, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's it's like night and day, but, like, the best way to start off on Lynch is just start with his interviews. They're so fucking cool. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and, like, so basically, like, he, he he's always kind of held the belief that, you know, like, doing Dune was a selling out moment for him, and... Mind you, he did, like, of course, he went into it with the best intentions. Um, to go back to Room to Dream for a minute, um, Lynch's agent at the time said, you know, David is eager to make money. Yeah. Very relatable. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Um, whomst among us? <laughs> <clears throat> no, David is eager to make money, but he won't compromise, and he never has. And that's not what was happening when, at the beginning of Dune. Like, that's not what was happening when... Mm -hmm they were starting production on this. Like he did want to go into this to make the best movie he possibly could, even if it was a big studio film made by Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah. Um, and I have one more Dune, Dune related quote. One more. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a it's, it's a gooder. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a big, it's a good big quote. I posted on my letterbox. So this is from room to dream at the end so like the way room to dream is set up so it's kind of a memoir it's kind of not at the same time so like it's a memoir and a biography simultaneously so like each chapter will be like the first half of the chapter will be his biographer writing about him mm -hmm. and then the second half of the chapters is uh lynch telling his side of the story right i almost called him dune um <laughs> <laughs> this will come into play in a second so once again to read much like our friend david lynch who, by the way, I'd love to have on the show. I would love David Lynch on the show. I would love to have David Lynch. I would cry. Like, mm. imagine if I missed the episode where David Lynch was on. I don't... I, I'm not... You say that, but, like, I'm not sure that's actually possible. Imagine if I said, fuck, I'm sick, or fuck, I'm stuck in the middle of this thing. I can't make the David Lynch episode. I, I, I would... Like, I would immediately phone you and be like, you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> finds out i'm stuck at work oh fuck he can't 
like I think I feel like the first thing we try to do is see if we can reschedule with David Lynch. <laughs> Be like, you have no like this is like the this is his make a wish thing, dude. Like if he had cancer <laughs> right now, <laughs> that would be the the absolute like the peak pity guest appearance. <laughs> yeah, that would be the peak pity guest appearance. Would be like David Lynch pitying me for two and a half hours while we like make jokes. <laughs> And just pretends to politely laugh, just like, <laughs> Hey, David, can you say huge sadness? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, That's our boy. Anyway, so I'm going to, I'm going to quote David Lynch one more time. Cause this is like probably my favorite quote in the entire book. Mm-hmm. I just started selling out. It was pathetic is what it was. But it was the only way I could survive, because I signed a fucking contract. A three-picture deal for Dune and two sequels. If it had been a success, I would have been Mr. Dune. <laughs> for the remainder of this episode, quite possibly even the re- remainder of this season and next, we will be referring to him solely as Mr. Dune. That... Denis Villeneuve, eat your fucking heart out. <laughs> When, when he comes on the show, we're going to refer to David Lynch exclusively as Mr. Dune and see Mr. how long Dune. it takes for him to, like, break one of our necks. <laughs> Just coming through the fucking screen. Ah, oh, thank you, Mr. Lynch. Spank me hard or dies. Um, <laughs> but, no, so, the movie was released to a mix to negative reception. Um, yeah. But in spite of that, uh, Frank Herbert, Kyle McLaughlin, Sting have all basically come out and, like, tried their best to, like, defend him. Mm-hmm. and defend the movie like they've all basically to sum it up without quoting all three of them simultaneously um basically they just said that he did the best he could with the material mm-hmm. that he was given and the restraints that he the restraints that he was imposed under mm-hmm. um now with that said I don't give a fuck what Frank Herbert, Kyle McLaughlin or Sting think of David Lynch's Dune I only give a fuck about Stefan what do you think of David Lynch's Dune I I th- I have I have many mixed emotions on on David Lynch's film, despite the fact that like on Letterboxd they gave it a pretty squarely negative rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I honestly I think I think my uh, my opinions are more mixed than anything, um because it's a bad movie, like I, it's not a good movie, uh but I think parts of it are like so good, like I think a lot some of the visuals are of course dated because it was the eighties, but like I think some of the, like the costume design and the sets are really cool, mm-hmm. like I think the aesthetic of this movie is like perfect for its time, um, I really really like the uh, what what was his name, um Kenneth McMillan as uh, Harkonnen because I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where you see uh, as Baron Harkonnen because I think I think he's actually the most David Lynch character out of the bunch. Oh, one hundred percent. He is fucking evil and disgusting and like represents everything bad with the, the this universe. I'm kind of surprised he he even got away with as much stuff as he did with the Baron, especially considering he didn't have Final Cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for the first half of the movie, like it's not good, but like it's enjoyable enough. It's not like in a in a very kind of campy, pulpy sci-fi way. Uh, but it's kind of at the at the mid halfway point that it kind of takes it 
takes a nosedive. And a lot of it stems back to the fact that you can't do Dune justice in less than two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they take about an hour to get through, like, a lot of kind of the setup to the book. And then they try to speedrun the rest of the book in an hour and a half. Yeah. And you can't do that. Um, And... It, it, I don't know. It, it's it. I, I. That's where a lot of my problems with the movie kind of stem from, and it doesn't sound that bad, but like it really does kind of kill the movie for me. But like, it's not. A, you you kind of sometimes see this as as like what uh, some people call it, like one of the worst movies of all time, and it's really not. Like there is some genuinely good good stuff about it. Uh, the best thing, of course, being the fact that this kind of was for, was first David Lynch's first. Uh, movie with Kyle MacLachlan, and while Kyle MacLachlan, what while Kyle MacLachlan was like bad in this, like it did lead to Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks, so I can't be that mad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this movie quite literally did lead to Blue Velvet because immediately after this movie bombed, um, mm-hmm. Dino De Laurentiis just kind of went, "That was fun. You want to do another one?" <laughs> and David Lynch went. Sure, fuck it. Who who gives a shit? I have this <laughs> script called Blue Velvets. It's not really a Dune movie, but I mean, it's it a might... real crowd pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the families. It's for the kids. It's for the Christians. Bring me Ma. <laughs> There's a plot point that centers heavily on Roy Orbison. I will be requesting $50 million. <laughs> I don't know how much it cost. Definitely not that much. Have you ever wanted to see the parallels between and Roy Orbison? Too late, bitch. <laughs> Chris, you may be crossing the line a little bit, yes. But I've seen... But I consider Blue Velvet to be the most entertaining of the David Lynch movies, so I think I just have a problem. <laughs> Is Blue Velvet entertaining, or do I just have a mental illness? New game. <laughs> I mean, Blue Velvet is fucking great, though. Oh, it is so good. It is so good. Um, What do you think of David Lynch's Dune, though? What do I think? Okay, so I'm gonna sound like a David Lynch suck-ass when I say this, so I'm just gonna get my biases out of the way right away. David mm-hmm. Lynch is my favorite director. Yeah, I mean, that's like the that's like the second thing I learned about you. <laughs> And he has been my favorite director since high school. Like, Mm. straight up. He's been my favorite filmmaker since high school. And I love him, and he's fantastic. David Lynch and I go way back, he says parasocially. I I vividly remember the day that I got introduced to David Lynch. It was in grade 10. Um, My high school English teacher showed us um, The Elephant Man for our film study. And basically, it's uh, much, much like drugs. It was just mm-hmm. instant, you know, like, just like, mm-hmm. fuck, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm high on Lynch, mm-hmm. which, uh, glad I didn't, uh, didn't use that as a verb. <laughs> We're trademarking that t-shirt though. <laughs> high on lynching or high on Lynch? How about, uh, you know what? You know, you know I'm thinking through the consequences of my actions. Maybe you should just keep talking. <laughs> you know, you know what? Actually, no, I'm, I'm going to come to a compromise. Why don't we trademark both? Okay. That way nobody can ever put out a high on lynching t-shirt ever because we won't put it out and we can sue anyone that tries because we're ethical people yep this is how we'll cure racism this is how we heal in the world um (laughs) so no but um no but like again 
nothing but love for David Lynch. I will always be a David Lynch suck ass. I'm just putting my biases out there right now. So when I say that I actually kind of like this movie, you guys can take this with a grain of salt. I kind of like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, is it good? No. Am I a sucker for shitty, corny 80s Dino De Laurentiis produced sci-fi movies regardless? Yes. Am I a huge David Lynch fan? Yes. Is this movie kind of up my wheelhouse? More or less, yeah. Because I think, like like you said, like the best parts of this movie are the movie or are the moments that feel like a David Lynch movie. There's um everything with the Baron that is just Whoo, wow. Like that was that was PG thirteen, huh? Wow. Yeah. Oh Jesus boy. Christ. Um there's there's scenes there's scenes involving the Baron that remind me straight up of the season two finale of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Where like this was clearly somewhat restrained because and I do mean somewhat. Um mm-hmm. somewhat restrained so that like we could push this out to a mass audience. Mm-hmm. But also like I can't fucking believe he got away with half the shit he did and I respect the fact that he did so immensely. Yeah. Like it's a really fucking like like again, like it's it's one of those where like you, you kind of sit there and rewatch it after a while and go Oh, right. Yeah, there is that fucking blood loss scene. Yeah, yeah. That makes your skin crawl. Um, mm-hmm. It's... It's a lot. It's it's a very... Best way I can put it, it's a lot. And and I the other thing I'm going to say, because you, you brought up Lynch's aesthetic, and I'm just going to outright agree with you. Like, I, I love Lynch's aesthetic in this movie. I actually... I like the aesthetic of this more than I like the aesthetic of Villeneuve's film. I will add though that they're, they 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 go with the book and take it to very different directions. Oh yeah, no, exactly. Like I, I think they both go in very different directions. I think at this point it's just kind of that subjectivity of like which one do you prefer? And mm. I kind of prefer Lynch's more kind of like art poppy deranged kind of look mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over like the more I guess photorealistic thing that Villeneuve is kind of going for. Yeah, I would I would almost say kind of like bleak and moody, but like also kind of grounded. Yeah, like it's it's a much more grounded take on Doom, which is I I think both are completely valid. It's just one I prefer over the other. That said, the VFX are terrible. Um, oh I'm my make, god! Yeah, I, I'm gonna yeah like you look at those fucking shields and you think oh Dino De Laurentiis clearly gave them like fucking two cents and a fucking corn chip to put this together. So like, oh <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my exact my exact like um experience watching it was like um you know like Kyle McLaughlin is like surprisingly bad in this and I don't know why we needed all that exposition at the beginning uh but you know I kind of like how the spaceship looks and uh oh Patrick Stewart is in this that that's interesting um all right well I I I guess let's see how the combat looks in this it's probably not gonna look great because it's the 80s oh my god (laughs) Why are the creepers from Minecraft fighting each other? <laughs> I, 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 I showed the scene to Brandon because he hasn't watched David Lynch's Dune. Mm-hmm. So I just showed him the scene without any fucking context. Mm-hmm. In stunning 4K. Because I was watching the new Arrow 4K for this. So we're watching this in stunning 4K. I show him that scene and he just looks at me and goes, Man, I love Roblox. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that, that's good it's, like a, it's, that. it's it's a it's a good fucking it's a good fucking bit i love it but um mm-hmm. 
<sighs> no, but it's... It, I, I remember when Patrick Stewart shows up, and I just kind of went... And I, it was just me having this, like, existential crisis, just trying to imagine, like, Patrick Stewart in a David Lynch movie that isn't this. Yeah, yeah. And then trying to, re like, wrap my head around the fact that, in fact, we can say that David Lynch and Patrick Stewart have worked together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to feel. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the other thing too. Kyle McLaughlin's terrible in this movie. Yeah, he's really bad. This he's is, I think really this is like his bad. First movie though, so it's, it's this like, is it's... this is his first movie because I think he was doing theater at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I I really like that scene like right before the big Minecraft creeper fight. Um, <laughs> thank you for that image. Mm -hmm. It will never leave. I I love like. He like they come up behind him. They're talking, and you just see his face slow, like the smile slowly, menacingly creeping on his face. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, like, man, Kyle MacLachlan would have made an amazing Joker. <laughs> yeah, he would have. He would have. Um, and he just turns around. He goes, and he just starts. He's like, I, I, I saw you guys coming from a mile away. <laughs> 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 like it's so fucking creepy but yeah. um, I, I love i love that scene because like it that's when it immediately becomes clear that nobody actually handed out like a pronunciation guide for the characters exactly because like he uh the two major characters in the book are thufir hawat mm -hmm. uh who's a, who's a mentat which is basically like a superhuman race but who was like really good at strategy yeah and uh dr yue who who's like a, like a scientist and medical doctor. Uh, and obviously they're meant to, like, just based on the names, like, Thufir Hawad is pretty clearly meant to be, like, Middle Eastern. And Dr. Yue, that, that's a Chinese, that's just a straight-up Chinese name. Mm -hmm. uh, but, of course, they're both white guys in this movie. And uh, th he he pronounces Thufir as Thufir. Which is so good. <laughs> and uh, d Dr. Yue becomes... Uh, Dr. Yui. It's very good. That was my favorite part of the movie. Like, it's, it's, once again, I, I, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm fully subscribed to the conspiracy theory that David Lynch just never read the fucking book at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, he literally just called up Raffaella De Laurentiis and went, I need the Cliffs notes. <laughs> and the internet doesn't exist. I'm not reading this shit. I'm not re have you seen how fucking big that book is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> That'll take me seven packs of cigarettes. I got to the Only scene seven? Shut up. <laughs> I got to the scene with the old lady and the needle and time stopped around me. I had no idea what was fucking going on. I entered a fugue state. It was three <laughs> days later. It took I... me three days. <laughs> It's amazing Damn. how the beginning of that book, like time, time just kind of seems to like warp around you. Like it, yeah. it is a very interesting <laughs> feeling. It's it's a hell of a read. Um, yeah, but um, also I I've been done my general thoughts for a long time. But mm -hmm. uh, let's um, there's one thing that real actually speaking of like these like clearly not giving a shit moments about the book. There's one thing that really pissed me off. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's the it's the eighties. Yeah. Dino De Laurentiis hot off the, I guess, success of Flash Gordon mm -hmm. is making an adaptation of Dune. Mm -hmm. And I would like to stress this again. It's the 80s. Yeah. They called 
they fucked up so much shit in that adaptation. And the one thing I was really, I, I keep, it, it, it breaks me every time. It, it, it's such a sadness. Such a sadness. It's such a sadness that they couldn't bastardize Duncan motherfucking Idaho <laughs> and make him this corny, like, He-Man badass motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I wanted, I want, like, if you're going to make a shitty 80s fucking Dune movie, I want people, I want a scene where Kyle McLaughlin goes, It's Duncan motherfucking Idaho! And he just comes down in, like, a cowboy hat with, like, guns up the fucking wazoo screaming, Ye my fucking harakis! Like, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just some doughy white guy. It's some doughy white guy, you're just like, shit. What the hell is this? Why? And why the, can, like, fuck. In that, re- in that, in that respect, the new casting of Jason Momoa is vastly superior. Honest to God, like when I heard that Jason Momoa was playing Duncan Idaho, I just, I kept thinking he was going to be the way he was in Aquaman. Even though Denis Villeneuve is directing this movie, I still thought, Jesus mm. Christ, he's going to basically play Aquaman. Mm. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which on one hand is good. On the other hand, it's like, oh, if only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I would have loved to hear at one point just like Duncan Idaho jumping out of a ship with like guns strapped up the wazoo to his body and him just looking at like anything on that planet shooting, shooting, a shooting a fucking sandworm just going, yeah, like that would have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> like he just sees Paul once and he's like, my man. Yeah, my man. Like I like basically all I want. Like basically, hashtag release the Whedon cut mm-hmm. <laughs> of Denis Villeneuve's tune. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, I, one one of my favorite things about David Lynch's Dune is just the pug that is, I guess, a recurring character. Oh yeah, it just shows up, leaves, shows up, leaves. You're just yeah, like, like what? at one point, like Duke Leto is carrying it, and you you just kind of wonder like what. Like what the what the fuck are pugs even doing in this universe? And then like yeah. later, like Gurney Halleck is Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck is carrying it into battles. Like what the fuck is even happening? What am I watching? Mind <laughs> this you, Dune. That is, that Did I miss might, something in Dune? <laughs> I I feel like the image of Patrick Stewart as Gurney holding a pug into battle mm-hmm. is, and I mean this as someone who's watched every single one of them can't stress this enough the most david lynch thing ever yeah it is very david lynch that screams david lynch like mm-hmm. and and really i and i mean that in a good way i i love that david lynch would have gurney carrying a cute little popper into combat part, part part of the uh the two and a half hours that they cut from this movie in post is actually the revelation that uh, the pug is the Kwisatz Haderach. I would have I, I would have loved a five to ten minute scene of just Patrick Stewart playing with the pug. That would that would have been great. That would have been great. Um, but mm. unfortunately, Dino De Laurentiis had to get into the editing room. <laughs> we'll that we'll never forgive Dino De Laurentiis for this. Hashtag release the Lynch cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I another kind of corny aspect of the movie that is very very endearing is like 
some of the costume design, like, especially for the Harkonnens, like, aside mm-hmm. from the Baron, who was fucking horrifying, like, specifically with, um, I, I've, I've, I, I've already forgotten what the, what the character's actual name is. It's like, it's like Fair Ratha. Yeah. Um, Sting's character. Yeah. Uh, who, by the way, Sting is having a blast. <laughs> Sting's having a fucking ball. It's, it's yeah. incredible. Like, I think, funny enough, I was reading this in Room to Dream that I guess, like, Patrick Stewart had no fucking idea who Sting was. <laughs> and when and he, and he goes, so you're a singer? And Sting goes, yeah, yeah, I'm in this band called The Police. And Patrick Stewart just went, oh, so he's in a cop band. That's stupid. <laughs> I just kind of... <laughs> I love kind of moved Stewart. on with his life. Patrick Stewart's gang. Um, no, and like Sting's having a blast. God. But, um, also, Sean Young showing up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. yeah that was that was interesting that was that was a sight um <laughs> yeah uh, but but what I, what I meant to say about sting was like i love the scene where like for no apparent reason he's just sitting around in like a cod piece and nothing else yes <laughs> yes okay i guess we're doing this like here we yeah, here we go yeah <laughs> ye my fucking ha let's roll um um i to double back to the VFX for a second, because I just thought about this and I don't want to forget mm-hmm. to bring it up. Mm-hmm. The sandworms look incredible in this, and actually, I think the sandworms look better in this than they do in Villeneuve's film. They look great in this. It's like, like do I... you know? Do you know what it is that I hate about Villeneuve's sandworms? What? They look like giant dicks with assholes for urethras. Dude, that's like I don't. Know I'm, how correct. I'm correct. I'm <laughs> correct. I don't know how you do the sandworms without them looking like giant dicks. No, no, no. Like, they're all going to look like giant dicks, but, like, I hate the fact that in Villeneuve's movie, they look like they have assholes for urethras. Having trouble picturing that, but actually, no, I kind of see what you mean. (laughs) I, 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 I get it now. I get it. I get it. I don't hate it, but I do think they look fantastic in, in, uh, Dune 84. Yeah, because at least then they have a fucking mushroom cap in Dune 84. Holy fuck. Um, (laughs) Denis Villeneuve supports circumcision. Boycott Dune 2021. (laughs) This message has been brought to you by the Confederation of Sequel Decay and, uh, I don't know, the David Lynch Foundation for uh, Anti-Circumcision and Transcendental Meditation. And male rights. And male rights. um, I guess is what we're going with. The Dude's Rock Foundation. The Dude's Rock Foundation for male rights. There we go. We did it. Um, anyway, so Denis Villeneuve is anti-circumcision, and he wants all your penises to have assholes for urethras um, because he hates Israel, and we're liberals, apparently. That's what we're getting at, I think. That's wow, what the that was... Is getting at. I've never sounded so much like Joe Rogan in my fucking life. Wow. Uh, boo. I, I like the one scene where, like, I, I guess, like, the Baron is meant to be to- torturing Thufur Hawat. <laughs> and, uh, and like, he just, this is the last scene we actually see Thufur. Uh, and he just, and, yeah, and he just brings out a cat and, like, implies that, oh, we're gonna milk this cat. And, and like, what, 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 what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but my point being that it reminds me of, like, the one part in Red Letter Media's, I think, Revenge of the Sith review where he's like does anybody want to help me milk my cat it's time to make breakfast i was thinking about that 
Um, I, I also want to take a second to talk about, um, two, two more things, and then I'm going to move on to the Alan Smithy cut. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, Toto's score, which absolutely rules. It's very good. Again, this is right off, like, this is hot off the heels of Flash Gordon, and that was all done by Queen. Mm Mm-hmm. Toto's score for this absolutely rules. Like, yeah, I, I I was like I wasn't expecting much because like I I went into this not knowing anything about Toto other than the fact that they did Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't it's not a Dune vibe, um, but no, it, it's absolute it's terrific. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to talk about my favorite performance in the entire movie, mm-hmm. David Lynch as a salt miner. <laughs> i love i love him in this he's just very meek and charming he's so cute you just want to like pinch his little cheeks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh even in the most fucked up shit he just shows up and you're like this is delightful now yeah you get five seconds of just peace and fucking quiet um it's great um okay so i want to say about 10 to 15 years after dune comes out um uh, finally universal goes we should make a tv cut and it's gonna be like basically so for those of you who don't know so tv cuts um uh, are basically they're not just re-edited for like violence and profanity and shit like that but they're like they're usually longer versions of the movie and the reason why that they're longer on tv as opposed to in theaters is because that way you can get more commercial time in yeah like, uh, that's where you make the big bucks on TV. I know you guys are all on the Netflixes and the Apple TV Pluses and the Hippities and the Hoppities and the Zoomities and the AOLs online, but, uh... And your fucking Yowies. And your, and your fucking Yowies and your Yahoos and your Zigzags and your Weed. But, uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go have a hernia now. And, uh, <laughs> no, but, like, yeah, back in the day when they were making TV cuts, it was... It was always make the movie longer. That way we can get more commercial time in. Yeah. Um, so the, the theatrical cut of Dune is 2.17, I think. Um, the TV cut is three hours long. Right. Um, is this a director's cut? No. You know how I know this? Because David Lynch smacked that Alan Smithy name on it, baby. Um, <laughs> the nuclear fact, button for directors. Yeah, the nuclear button for directors. Um, nobody has ever used the Alan Smithy pseudonym since uh, 2000 because that's when it was just completely. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, it? It's worthless now. You can't put Alan mm. Smithy on your on your movie. Um, mm. And in fact, he wanted like he wanted nothing to do with it. So like, the the movie was credited to director Alan Smithy, and Lynch's screenplay credit was instead credited to Judas Booth, named after Judas Iscariot and John Wilkes Booth. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's a, that's a that 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 like crosses the line from passive aggressive, I think. It's just straight up aggressive. <laughs> I I would say it's kingship, but you know. Oh, oh, did, did Lynch would Lynch have picked that or would that have been the studio? That was Lynch. Okay, well, that's fine. That was Lynch. I think that's kingship. Like, I think that's very cool now that now that I know that it was Lynch who did it. Yeah, no, Lynch Lynch credited it to Judas Booth. Um again, after Judas Iscariot and John Wilkes Booth, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you Originally can sit, I, you can sit I, here for three hours and just analyze that shit. 
originally I thought it was the studio who would who would put that name. No, <laughs> it's like, oh no. wow, they they took David Lynch like not getting Final Cut and being mad about it really really uh pettily. No, like no, he no Lynch usually because like if like if if Lynch really wanted to, he would have just kept his name on there. I don't think Universal would have cared one way or the other, but mm. he threw Alan Smithy on there. He threw Judas Booth on there. That is, there's a lot that mm-hmm. there's so much to unpack and I don't have two hours to do it. Um, yeah, but I've seen the TV cut, mm-hmm. um, or the Smithy booth cut, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, it's a bitch to find. The only way mm-hmm. you can find it is on an old DVD from like the mid two thousands. That's stupidly out of print. Hmm. Um, I have, I have two copies of Duna at home. I have the recent Arrow 4K restoration and I have the fucking shitty universal DVD with the extended cut on it from 2006. And Mm. I will gladly lend out that 4K Blu-ray before I lend out that DVD. Yeah. (laughs) Um, priorities, everyone. Um, Mm. so some things I'm going to like, so to, 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 to kind of explain this cut so it's three hours it's less confounding than the theatrical cut mm-hmm. um it's it almost feels like i i feel like the better way the better title to describe it would be more like the novel cut because mm-hmm. like it starts with a shot of the book okay and then it just dives into it and it flows more like like it, it has that kind of almost like novel pacing to it right and I think the three hours really helps that. Um, do I prefer that pacing? Yeah, yeah. I, I I like how stupid the theatrical cut is. Um, <laughs> There's a like something about the stupidity of like the decisions they make from like uh, just having a straight up monologue at the beginning or having characters' thoughts be clearly audible. Mm-hmm. Like this, like the kind of the audience insulting shit. Like it's stupid, but like it, it is kind of charming in a very dumb way. Exactly. Um, um, which reminds me, the opening exposition dump with Virginia Madsen is completely out of the picture. It's not there. Oh, that they makes completely, sense. They completely took it out. Instead, they went for a voiceover narration exposition dump oh, over, no. a, over a montage of concept art. Oh, okay. But, like, the designs actually look super dope. Because they're, like, kind of this, like, mix between, like, 50 sci-fi and avant-garde. Okay. So it looks super cool. Right. And then, you know, yeah, you just get the, like, screenplay by Judas Booth, directed by Alan Smithy, and then you just scream, <laughs> let's fucking go. Um, <laughs> it's a lot more exposition-heavy, like, especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, right, Dune's a very complex book, and it's really hard to adapt even into a single three-hour film. Yeah, what what everybody should be taking away from our thoughts on David Lynch's Dune is that, like try to get try to condense this all into two and a half or even three hours was kind of a was kind of doomed from the start yeah it, it's kind of like Zack Snyder's Watchmen where like it's it's one of those things where like they couldn't condense that into a two and a half hour film yeah it had exactly. to be three hours or more and like some of the exposition works and I can definitely forgive a lot of it some of it doesn't because mm-hmm. oh boy um like uh you know that scene where like the three of them come up behind Paul uh right before mm-hmm. the Minecraft fight that scene feels like it's five minutes longer. Oh, okay. Before, be- before Paul turns around and goes, "I saw you guys coming from a mile away." Yeah, like just just what just what that scene needed more of that. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it feels like it's, like, 25 minutes long now. Um, right. The narration, I, I think the opening narration works better than, like, Virginia Madsen just showing up and going, Hello, I'm Virginia Madsen, and I'm here to tell you all about Dune. So, yeah, like, basically, if you don't want to watch this dumb, confounding 80s movie, and you'd rather kind of watch something that takes its time a little bit more... I, I would say they're both about the same level of quality. Like, I would I would give them both the same grade on Letterboxd, mm -hmm. uh, which is a 6 out of 10. So, either one will do you fine. I think it really just depends on, like, what you're in the mood for. And 9 times out of 10, I'm in the mood for the theatrical cut. Yeah. Because uh, it's dumb and it's fun. Mm. Now, Stefan, mm -hmm. do you recommend Dune? Um... I'm kind of going back and forth between, like, middle of the road and no. Uh, because I, I don't think there's anybody that I would, like, wholehearted... I, I, don't, I don't know that I would wholeheartedly recommend it in most contexts. Mm -hmm. Just because, like, it is pretty bad uh, to be to do an understatement. But, like, there is so much value in, like, kind of, like, the, the campy stupid stupidity that, mm -hmm. like, I almost do want to recommend it. But on the other hand, like, if you're looking for, like, a good... Uh, a good retelling of the Dune story. First of all, you're just not going to get a perfect retelling. You basically have to read the book. So, sorry. Uh there's no really there's no real there's no real getting around that. Mm -hmm. Um but also no, it's not a it's not a great adaptation either in the sense that like it really does speed run a lot of the more interesting events of the book to the support where like half the movie is pretty boring. Mm -hmm. Um it's got some like interesting elements like some of the visuals uh when david lynch does kind of get to run wild it's very 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 good mm -hmm. um but that those moments are kind of few and far between so i would i think i am gonna go middle of the road just kind of based on what we've said today i think you could probably tell if you're interested in checking it out or not yeah uh and you can kind of make your judgment of that like if you know like if you don't really care about campy stuff from the 80s uh you're probably not really going to get anything out of it. But if it does kind of, if you do kind of love that dorky 80s sci-fi vibe, or you really like a David Lynch, there, there is something here for you. So, um, well, my opinions on it is generally genuine is generally quite negative. I would give it a middle of the road. Hmm. You going to ask me, or am I just going to sit here like an asshole with my thumb up my ass? Chris, what do you think of David Lynch is doing? Okay. So do I, Okay. I'm I'm going to recommend it wholeheartedly in one specific context only. Mm -hmm. You have eight friends over, or more. You bought yourself a case of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Specifically PBR. Specifically PBR. Heineken. Fuck that shit. And some, someone's been passing around the joint since 1230 that afternoon. And you realize that you have a copy of Dune and Flash Gordon at home. That's the only context. Yeah. <laughs> um, every other context is a very strong middle of the road for literally every single reason that Stefan mentioned. It's, 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 it's dumb. It's very dumb. But it's very fun if you are in that mindset. If you are a David Lynch purist, and coming from the David Lynch purist, oh, get real. Um, yeah. <laughs> grow up. You can enjoy mm -hmm. Dune. It's okay. Just because he doesn't like it doesn't mean you have to hate it too. I like plenty of things that David Lynch doesn't like. Exactly. Such as screen selections. Yeah, I also really don't give a shit about Transcendental Meditation. Mm -hmm. Because it's fucking stupid. I mean, what? Yeah. David Lynch, please <laughs> come on the show. 
Um, please, please come on please, the pod. Please, please, please. I'll I'll pretend to give a shit about transcendental meditation for you. Anyway, no, like it's. I don't know if, if you want to have fun, it's fun. If you give a shit about the book, it's not going to do it for you. But, you know, you gotta, like, anybody who's read the book, it's the same thing with Watchmen. It's the same thing with even to an extent Lord of the Rings. We all come to this inevitable concession that just there's no such thing as a perfect adaptation. You have to read the book. Yep. And that's really that's the case with any adaptation. Like, mm-hmm. there's just some things that cannot carry over. Yeah. And,. It's that's every adaptation. It's especially so for Dune. So yeah, um, I think we're gonna take a short break. Yep, but we'll be back after this message from our sponsors. Yes. Now that you've heard us uh, do a, do a podcast on Anchor, so you can also join the ranks of the unwashed. Um, <clears throat> it's time to it's time to listen to us talk about probably the reason you're all here. To be quite honest. Uh, which is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. But before we, of course, we, uh, since this is a Dune adaptation, of course, there's stuff to talk about, like, before we get to the actual movie. So, d- Chris, do you want to lead us into that? Sure, I'll make this super quick. Um, mm-hmm. So, after David Lynch's Dune came out, there were a few other attempts at readapting the book. Um, most notably, and it was the only one that was actually successful in the sense that it got made. Um mm-hmm was the sci-fi miniseries adaptation from John Harrison, who actually frequently collaborated with George Romero as of Day of the Dead. Mm. Hey, remember when we did that episode? That was that cool. Was um, and it was received slightly better than Lynch's film, but it was kind of criticized as being a little too long, a little too close to the book, like, you know, mm. fair. Um, yeah, I've never seen it, but... Neither have I. True. Neither have I, and I don't care. But there are, mm. there were other attempts made by Paramount to kind of do a remake of Dune. Uh, these included an attempt uh, with Peter Berg, who you may know as the director of Hancock and Lone Survivor, attached to direct. What could go wrong? <laughs> oh, this gets worse. And then mm. another attempt from Paramount with um, Pierre Morel, who directed Taken. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That incredibly nuanced masterpiece attached to direct. Um, <laughs> thankfully, Paramount gave up. <laughs> yeah, good. God, God is real. And uh, the rights were picked up by Legendary Pictures in 2016, who started kind of developing it with uh, Denis Villeneuve, mm-hmm. who was just hot off of Arrival and was just about to start working on Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. I brought up the irony last time. Um... And in making his version, Denis Villeneuve basically just said he wants to kind of go back to the book, start from scratch, and stay away from what Lynch did and what Horowski was planning. Like, he basically just wanted to do his own thing with it. He which wanted... I, he was doing his own thing with it, man. Yeah. Which I think he was successful at. But uh, I wanted to add, like, this is is this something that he, w- he would describe as, like, a, a dream of mine is Dune, but, like, even he expressed skepticism that it could actually get done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... And this 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 was like even before he actually uh, got hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said like he was not uh, quote he was not ready to direct a Dune movie until he had completed projects like Arrival and Blade Runner twenty forty nine uh-huh. makes sense and that his background with his background in science fiction films Dune is my world. Which yeah that makes a whole lot of sense when you look at Arrival and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yep. Um. 
and yeah, no, like, basically kind of the original plan, I mean, it's still the plan, but, like, basically the plan was coax Warner Brothers into doing what they did with It and what they did with um, Lord of the Rings and just greenlight kind of this multi-part adaptation mm-hmm. simultaneously. Which, yeah, which does make a whole lot of sense for Dune, but we can talk about how, how well it works in the movie, I suppose. Yeah, and... Um, I think the only reason why Warner Brothers got cold feet was because of how bad Blade Runner 2049 did at the box office. Yeah, which I can't believe that movie did poorly. That is I, mind you, I know very li- I, I, I I don't know what was released at the same time. I don't know if there was a reason why it did poorly, but it seems like that movie should have killed at the box office. Um I think a lot of factors went into play. I, I kind of blame, like, kind of the whole Lega sequel thing being such a big deal at this point. Um, yeah, t- to be fair, like, I don't know, know how many people were actually clamoring for a Blade Runner sequel, even a really, really good one. Well, exactly. And um, it also does kind of track with the original Blade Runner that it would fucking tank. Because yeah, the original fucking tanked. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know... You know, but... Uh, so to speak, yeah, they did not, they did not give him, uh, they, they, they didn't give him two movies. They were just like, we're going to do the one, we're going to see how well it does, and then we're going to, we'll see from there kind of thing. Which is kind of fair, I guess, but like also, you know, let's say for the sake of argument that Dune Part 1 is this masterpiece of filmmaking, and it just fucking tanked, and we never see Part 2. That would that, suck so much. That is somehow more of a fucking failure than David Lynch's Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, and so depressing. That's more of a failure than, like, not getting Hodorowski's Dune off the ground. Because at least Denis Villeneuve has this, uh... What, is it, what do you call it? He's a decent person. Yeah, he seems he seems to be a decent person, a decent, thoughtful person. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be a decent, thoughtful person who didn't revel at the fact that David Lynch's movie tanked. Yeah. Although I do kind of like that clip, just that line out of context. Out of context, it makes for good memeing, but like, it mm. uh, kills me. It kills me. I'm just going to move mm. my mic again. Mind you, he does say in the same sentence that he does admire David Lynch. He It's entirely for like, pe- he admits it's like mostly entirely for petty reasons. Oh yeah, like at least he's self-aware, but just because you're self-aware doesn't make you any less of a cunt. So, of course, uh, of course, of course. Um, so... That uh, did 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 he have did he have more production notes? Because I had one more. Um, I was gonna talk about the HBO Max thing. Yeah, you you, you that was what I was gonna talk about. You go you go ahead. Oh yay! Okay, so Dune, much like everything else that Warner Brothers has put out in the last year, was simultaneously released in theaters as well as HBO Max. And this is entirely because of COVID and because, like, the state of the theater industry has been so unpredictable in the last almost two years now. Um, so, usually what happens with all of these is, like, it goes on HBO Max for a month and then it gets removed after the month to follow the usual schedule. Um, mm-hmm. They did this for Wonder Woman 84. They did this for Suicide Squad. They did this for every movie. They're doing it for The Matrix. Like, it's, like nobody's... Nobody's special. Yeah, this this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, really. Nobody nobody should be surprised by this. Now, Denis Villeneuve was pissed about this, and so was Legendary. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is, and I will give them, I will defend them for a second. Like, 
they found out the same way we did. Yeah. From what I've heard. That's the thing. It's like, I know be, I know like earlier in the, this, I guess this last season, or maybe it was the season before. I don't remember. Like we ragged a lot on Christopher Nolan for uh, basically expressing like being really loud and annoying with the fact that he thinks Tenet should be viewed in, in theaters. Uh, and part of that was like, because Tenet is a, a genuinely bad movie. <laughs> When also, like, it works better at home because then you can put on subtitles and actually understand what's going on. That That is true. Like, but I think there there is a bit of a quanti- uh, a difference between that and, like, kind of this wave of discontent with the, the studios. It's because, like, it seemed to be done, like, completely without any consultation from, like, either smaller studios like Legendary or with creators like Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, and that I do feel for them. Like, and I mean, and also to Villeneuve's credit as well, he's not as much of a, he's not as much of a dick about it as Nolan was. I was going to say like, he's not as much of an angry self aggrandizing prick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, like, again, to be fair, like the new Dune, like what clearly was made to be seen on a giant screen Mm -hmm. and like if you if you feel safe enough to do it and you're able to i do recommend you go see it on the biggest screen humanly possible yeah absolutely like Um, this is what this is one of the things that i'm kind of kicking myself for like waiting until i I don't think it's running in theaters in edmonton anymore uh but but like if i if i had the chance to i absolutely would watch it in the theaters mm -hmm. um well exactly and yeah so i and, and again, like, I completely get it. I'm, I'm going to quickly quote um, that column he published in Variety real quick. And you can read this quote on Wikipedia, too. Read along with Sequel Decay. Hooray. As we plagiarize content. Hooray. Hooray. Um, he said, quote, Streaming can produce great content, but not movies of Dune's scope and scale. Warner Brothers' decision means Dune won't have the chance to perform financially in order to be viable, and piracy will ultimately triumph. My team and I devoted more than three years of our lives to make it a unique big screen experience. Our movie's image and sound were meticulously designed to be seen in theaters. I am going to say one thing, though. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that I totally get why Villeneuve is kind of freaking out about this. Yeah. Because Blade Runner 2049 bombed. If Dune fucking bombed, one, it means we're not getting Dune Part 2. Two, it means, like, the odds of Warner Brothers trusting him with another major budgeted IP again would be slim. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we also got to remember that, like... Christopher Nolan's career is basically foolproof. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, failproof at this point. Denis Villeneuve is still kind of, because for a while he was kind of, I guess, presented in a lot of like mainstream film circles. And this is a un- this is uncharitable to both Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve, but as kind of the next Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely reductive. I don't like that thought at all. But it is kind of how he was being presented. With, uh, he had just come out of like the Canadian film scene. He was doing movies like Prisoners, like Sicario, and then eventually Blade Runner 2049 was supposed to be, like, this big, big, big event. And critically, everybody loved it, but, like, it didn't do well financially. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, like, Villeneuve is still kind of at the point where he could, if one one kind of wrong financial move, and he could be kind of back to doing these probably not like he was probably not going to be forced back into the into the quebec film industry or something like he's too big for that mm-hmm. but like more more smaller mainstream movies i i guess and he yeah. clearly is somebody who wants to do these like grander narratives you can see that with arrival and blade runner and now dune yeah that's and, the thing is and and that's the thing is like i think 
and I usually don't say this about filmmakers because I generally kind of hate when they get kind of thrown into the studio machine. Mm -hmm. But I think Denis Villeneuve is in his wheelhouse when he's doing stuff like this because, and I, and I kind of mentioned this in my notes for, uh, for his Dune is like, what I really like about him is that he takes these giant fucking budgets that are given to him by these massive fucking studios. And he's basically just creating like these like big budgeted art films. Yeah, exactly. Like he makes really good movies. Like there is, mm. I think the only, the only one of his movies that I don't really like is Sicario. And that's just because I don't like the script mm-hmm. and I just don't like Taylor Sheridan as a writer. Um, mm. I think Denis Villeneuve did literally the best he could with it. I think it's fine, but I don't think it's like this. Like, I, and I'm very much in the minority on this one. I understand yeah. that. Like, but I also, but you know, I really like Prisoners. I really like Enemy. I really like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I love Arrival. I love Arrival so much, mm-hmm. and I really, really like Dune. Yeah. Um. So like, and and I've been. I've been seeing Villeneuve's films in the theater basically since Arrival. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I guess since... No, I did see Sicario in the theater, so I guess since since uh, Sicario. Um, and I've been kind of making a point of it, because, like, especially after Arrival, because it's like, okay, these are really great movies that kind of need to be seen on a bigger screen. And I hate the fact that I'm saying that. I really do. Not because... not Not as a backhanded compliment to Villeneuve, but as, like, a you've heard me say it a million times that I hate filmmakers who get on their high horse and scream, yeah. you know, yeah. because they sound like whiny fucking crybabies, And it's just, and there's this level of insecurity to it of like, yeah. you know, Oh, well, if my film isn't seen on the biggest possible screen, and you watch it at home, then, you know, then it's going to feel so diminished. It's like, then how good are your fucking movies? Yeah, there's also that level of like elitism to it too. There, oh, there's a huge level of elitism to it. Like it's it's this mix of elitism and insecurity. With mm-hmm. Villeneuve, he is one of the few directors I completely understand why he says that. Mm-hmm. Um, P.T. Anderson being another, where like, because that's the thing is like I've watched Arrival at home, I've watched um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine at home, I've watched um, you know. All, you know, his, I've watched his movies at home too. They work just as well as at home as they do in theaters. It's the same thing with P.T. Anderson. I I can go see a P.T. Anderson film in theaters and love every second of it, and I can watch it at home and love every second of it. Like, nothing really changes between the mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and I feel like once I watch Dune at home, it's going to be the same thing, where I'm just going to really enjoy it at home as well. So, yeah, like, uh, as much as I want, as much as I'm sure y'all would love to hear me shit on Villeneuve and be like, yeah, fuck this guy because he's, he's bitching about the big screen experience and his head's up his ass, supposedly, blah, 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 blah. you must see my movie in theaters because I have a tiny dick. Like, <laughs> I, I get it because we've heard Nolan do this, Tarantino does this all the time, you know, mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, fuck, like, one of the most vivid examples of, like, a movie working in theaters and just completely falling apart at home for me is um, Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, because uh, did you see it in theaters or did you watch it at home? I saw it in theaters and later I watched it at home. And it's, like, it's like a polar opposite experience in terms of actually enjoying it or getting into it. Yeah, because, like, I just, I, I remembered watching it at home with my parents after I had seen it in IMAX um, mm. when it came out in theaters. 
and I just remember they were like, this is pretty good. And I'm like, actually, I think this is really boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, like, it's like, it's like, I don't like bo- movies where you feel like you had to have been there. Like there is something that is not, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't feel like making movies that are specifically designed to invoke. Uh, you had to, have, you just had to be there. Mo- uh, a feeling like don't really sit where sit right with me. Oh yeah, no. It's um, and the other blatant example of this, and I can't believe I forgot to bring it up, was Avatar. Same mm-hmm. thing. Watch yeah. it in theaters, blows your fucking mind. You watch it at home, you're like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like when you're watching it at home, you're not thinking about how big and grand and spe- spectacular it is. You're you're really starting to zero in on things like the plot, the characters, how things work. Um, you know, performances, whatever, right? And with Gravity, I mostly just kind of found it boring. With Avatar, I was just, like, pulling my hair out because it's like, this movie is fucking bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the acting's bad, the dialogue's bad, this is just a dumb movie. Like, yeah, it's pretty and it looks cool, but, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't watch movies at home to brag about my home theater system. I watch movies at home because I like watching movies and falling in love with the story and the characters um mm-hmm. like jesus christ so yeah like but anyway all this to say i'm not gonna shit on villeneuve i get where he's coming from and i'm sure he was probably fucking petrified when he found out that you know it was gonna be that whole like that simultaneous release thing because again yeah. look at the failure of blade runner 2049 and i'm sure the threat felt even worse mm-hmm. when suicide squad bombed yeah 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 because I blame that on the simultaneous release. Mm-hmm. And also, well, because I think at that point still, like, people weren't completely ready to go to the theater. Yeah, that too. Um, I, I also want to bring up the irony of, like, Christopher Nolan thinking he was going to save movie theaters with that piece of shit crap fest tenant. And then yeah. Denis Villeneuve, who's being hailed as the next Christopher Nolan, coming in and actually probably saving movie theaters. <laughs> I, I think Christopher Nolan is, like, the, the biggest movie to come out of COVID. Christopher Nolan. What the fuck am I talking about? The biggest Dude movie to come the... out of COVID directed tenant is what we're saying. <laughs> COVID COVID directed tenant. Oh, well, that's why it made me sick. Um <laughs> Got him. Uh uh Bars. So, I think like Dune is probably the one of the better things to happen to the theater industry since since COVID. Because it's like the only big budget movie so far that has justified being released in theaters mm-hmm. I, I i can't speak for Th- suicide squad i haven't seen it but clearly it wasn't as big a, enough of an event for people to go out and watch in theaters and there's mo- multiple reasons for that we can't say it's just because of quality it's also a lot a lot to do with like public safety yeah like i i didn't see suicide squad in theaters i watched it at home yeah, exactly. Um, whereas Dune, and, and like you look at its box office numbers right now, and like th- three years ago they would have been seen as a disappointment, but like part two got greenlit. Like it was enough. Yeah, no, like it. it's because actually I'm going to, oh, thank God, I do have the Dune 2021 Wikipedia page up. Okay, so yeah, like right now it's basically broken even. Yeah. Like, right now, it's at the point where, like, they've broken even. They're going to start making a profit real quick. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be fine. Um, yeah. Actually, 
actually deadline was reporting that like if if they made 300 million dollars um they would have been fine yeah um they they would have been they would have been completely fine with that and even if like breaking even is like more than that because like actually wait no i don't think it's broken even yet because like it would have to you're right because like it would have to make so 300 so yeah it would have to make 600 million dollars to break even but regardless mm-hmm. regardless the movie's been out for what like a couple weeks now a few weeks yeah. um it's you know it's it's making it's making enough they're going to make a sequel like i'm mm-hmm. i'm really looking forward to it yeah and i think um, i think that that's indicative of both a this movie kind of serving as a lifeline for movie theaters and b the fact that movie theaters at this studios and theaters at this point are just going to have to redefine expectations for success. That's the thing, right? Like I, and I, and I am, uh, that was the thing I was actually super worried about was, and I remembered, so Brandon and I saw this, I want to say shortly after it came out. And like, I want to say about six hours before they announced the sequel. Mm -hmm. And we walked in, we saw the movie and we left. And I remembered saying to him, I said, I hope to God, I hope to God we get Dune Part 2. Yeah. Because it's going to break my fucking heart cuz like it's going really well so far and I'm really scared of them saying we're not going to we're not going to do two we're not going to do part 2 and it's just going to like and it's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. So thankfully they're doing it. They're also working on Dune the Sisterhood, which is an HBO Max show. Yeah. So like it's it's gonna be okay. We're getting Dune Part Two. We will talk about it when it comes out in twenty twenty three. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. My actually, my my dad. I was we were just on intermission, and I went downstairs to grab food. And my dad came up to me. He's like, "Hey, can we start? Can we watch Part Two now?" I was like, "I mean, we can in twenty twenty three. By the way, he liked the movie. That's good. <laughs> um, what did your mom think of it? So my mom hates the David Lynch movie. Uh-huh. Uh, she really, really, really liked the, the Villeneuve movie. Okay. She, she was really into it. Like she was, she was on the edge of her seat the whole time. That's good. Yeah. Glad someone That's got the opinion that I think everybody came here for. Yes. Uh, good night, everyone. <laughs> good night. See ya. Um, all right. So I guess I'll, I'll start with my thoughts since you just ignored me, prick. Um, what, what did I ignore you? <laughs> when we were talking about the Lynch movie, we weren't like, so Chris, what did you think? Oh, right. right, right yeah. Cause you're an asshole. All um, right. All right, Chris, I'll make it up to you. What are your thoughts on Dune part one? Okay. I'm just going to go with the first thing I wrote in my fucking notes. Um, this is the ideal best case scenario for a Dune adaptation. This yep. is as good as it's going to get. Don't try doing this again. This is mm. the best case scenario. Yeah. And it's a very good movie. Mm hmm. I like this more than the Lynch movie. Congratulations, Denis Villeneuve. Pat yourself on the back. Mark the fucking calendar. That's right. You are the only mm-hmm. person I've ever said has done something better than David Lynch. Mark it on the calendar, folks. Mark it on the calendar. Um, I will go blow Denis Villeneuve later on and take that $25,000 check. Anyway, um, <laughs> like I think this is a better movie than Lynch's film. I think this kicks the absolute shit out of what Hodorowski was planning to do. Like I even wrote here, I'm now just pol- I'm now just picturing Denis Villeneuve polite, <clears throat> politely dabbing on David Lynch and Alejandro Jodorowsky, and it's very funny to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
like I think this this gets the book in a way that I don't think any other adaptation of Doom was gonna was gonna do. Like mm-hmm. this is this is as good as it's gonna get. Like I said earlier, it feels like Villeneuve is just making hundred fifty million dollar art films at this point, and I really respect that. Yeah. My only problem with the movie is I think it's a little too long. The one thing I'll the one thing I was I remember when twenty forty nine came out and I remember seeing the runtime because it's like a hundred and sixty five minutes or something like that and I just remember going Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no yeah. I I think I even I don't think we were friends at this point but I remember texting somebody and going there is no fucking reason why it needs to be a hundred and sixty five minutes long, yeah, there's no reason, and then I walked in the theater and Denis Villeneuve was like actually hear me out and I went okay okay twist my rubber arm you've convinced me. This needed to be 165 minutes long. This does not need to be 155 minutes long. But again, like, I, I kind of just blame this on, like, Villeneuve trying to be faithful to the book, which, mm-hmm. again... Can't really I can't fault him for it. I can't really fault him for it. It's one of those things where it's like, it's it's a little too long, but I can I can deal with it. You know, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's a strong enough movie, and, like, the world building is so good that, like, I didn't care after a while. Mm-hmm. It's just like, whatever, it's too long, who cares? Like, I, I would say, like, this movie could have been two hours and 15 minutes, and that would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, Stefan, notice how no. I didn't forget you this time. <sighs> yes, Chris. What did you think of Dunk Part 1, 2021? I want that good Dunk. I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, um, I really, 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 really like Dunk. I mean, Dune. Well, that's uh, good. <laughs> like th- this is a, this is like I wholeheartedly agree with you. This is the best it's gonna get. Mm-hmm. Like there will never be a perfect adaptation of Dune. Like this is not really a substitute for the book, but this is the best we're gonna get in the medium of film. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is it. There is no there is no surpassing this. And I do have some problems with it, but, like, they're very minor, and they mostly owe to the fact that, like, you don't really know, like, a lot of it has to do with the ending, right? Like, there was no, because they were dividing it into two parts, I don't really think they had a perfect place to end it. I do agree and with that, that. Yeah, and that that leaves it kind of feeling unfinished. And um, I think I think that's going to be, like, kind of mitigated quite a bit when the second part comes out, just because we will have the full whole story, ideally. But right now, it kind of feels like everybody I was watching with uh, when we did watch it, like, we got to the... This is both a credit to the pacing and uh, kind of a slight side-eye at, like, the ending, because, like, we got, to, we got to, like, what was it? The two and a half hour mark, and or two, uh, two, two and a half plus... And, uh, the, the, the music starts like, uh, kind of crescendoing at the, at the, at the very end. And we're like, wait, that's it. Like, it, it doesn't really feel like the movie has a climax. Yeah. The movie just kind of ends, which like, again, that was the other thing that made me go, oh God, if they don't make a second part, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Cause like, yeah, exactly. boy, does it just end? Yeah. 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 N- I'll, I'll add again. And I've said this, but I don't fault really, really fault Denis Villeneuve for any of this. Like if they weren't going to trust him with the with both parts like right off the bat this was kind of the best he could do with that but it do- it does kind of leave like kind of this uncompleted feeling with that with that out of the way like i love basically everything else uh i i think i think um 
they like the actors are perfectly cast the visuals are are phenomenal it's very different from the from the david lynch movie for sure but i think this works perfectly for the the story it's trying to tell it's very dark and moody and atmospheric and it doesn't sacrifice any of the weirdness for it it is still a very strange movie not as strange in the same way as again not as strange as the as the david lynch movie at least not in the same way but it's it, the the elements that make dune dune are still here like the soul of dune is intact and yeah i can't say enough good things about it um i i like i i i definitely agree like if we wouldn't have gotten a part 2 that would be a fucking travesty but i'm really glad that we're going to see kind of denis villeneuve's vision like kind of all the way through oh 100% 100% like i'm i'm thrilled that we're getting a part 2 mm-hmm. um I believe that I don't know if they started filming yet, but I think they they said they're going to start like ASAP, right? I think they're going to start next year, mm-hmm. but like you know, it's it's going to take like it's going to take time, right? Yeah, this like is not something that you that you should that you're it, it's like I don't know three weeks and you're done. <laughs> exactly, like this, exactly. Like, this is going to take a while. Yeah, like they're not going to start filming tomorrow. They're going to start filming in like six months or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, especially with, like, the, the big names in the cast, like, they have other commitments, so it's basically going to be, like, as, as as soon as humanly possible kind of thing. As oh. opposed to, like, tomorrow. Oh, yeah, like, 100%. Like, it's, it's yeah, like, it's it's going to be, I, I think they start filming in July of 2022? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. <sighs> yeah. So- one of the one of the first things I've noticed, and uh, it's a difference from the novel, one of the few differences from the novel, and to to an extent the Lynch movie did this too, and I don't fault either of them for it, is like they definitely kind of toned down kind of the poeticness of the dialogue, mm-hmm. um, which I think is it, it entirely an entirely correct decision. Yeah, I I do kind of miss like the the dense art. I get almost like artistry of like Herbert's writing, but I think if you're going to cut something from Dune, that's kind of got to be the first thing to go. I, well, and the, the thing is, is like one, it works stylistically with kind of the more grounded vision of what mm-hmm. Villeneuve's doing here Two, Um, what was I going to say? Um, you know, I, there is also that kind of worry of like kind of translating a lot of Herbert's writing to the screen is mm-hmm. going to come off really kind of corny. Yeah, that's true. So you're kind of stuck in this weird place of like, well, if you're going to cut anything, yeah, like you said, that's going to be the first thing to go. Yeah, because like Herbert's writing was like, we said it earlier, it's operatic. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I guess while while Villeneuve's movie, it is it is by definition a space opera. It doesn't always have that feel kind of the, kind of in the same way that a lot of Star Wars movies don't necessarily have like a space opera feel to them. Mm hmm. Um, but I also think and, that, that operatic dialogue works better in a Star Wars movie than it would in Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 and kind of as a corollary, but mostly a side note, I think Timothy Chalamet reciting some of the... No no, no disrespect to Timothy Chalamet. I think he's a good actor. But uh, I him reciting some of the dialogue from the book sounds fucking hilarious to me. I feel like most of that... I feel like Zendaya reciting some of that dialogue. Yeah, that's true. Who I who we should just stress this right now. She is in the movie for thirty five seconds, and she's, she's a, hi, and she's higher build than Jason Momoa. That is that's fucking funny. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Jason Momoa saying some of that dialogue would have been would have been terrific. Um, you know who I would have killed to see in this movie, considering how big this fucking cast is. Who? Like, okay, so you got like Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Javier Bardem, Stone Skarsgård, Jason Momoa. I would have killed to see if like Denis Villeneuve just kind of went. You know what? I'm in a mood. Mm. I'm just gonna pluck John Cena in here somehow. That would have been awesome. Like, I mean, you already have a former wrestler. Like, you have Dave Bautista. Oh, yeah, he's already... Oh, my God. And, like, the performance he got out of him in 2049 was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Like, through the roof, phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, I can only imagine, like, him getting it... Actually, because I, I do think John Cena's... Okay, so out of out of the former pro wrestler actors, I might give the slight edge to Cena over Batista, but also I do really like Batista, so... There's something about John Cena's charisma, his charm, his comedic timing that I really adore. Um, case in point, Suicide Squad, which actually he's really fucking good in that. Yeah, I, I still need to see that. But even like uh, even Trainwreck, like that movie sucks, but he's the best part of it. Um, fucking Cockblockers, he's incredible in that. He's he's absolutely fantastic in Bumblebee of all films, which is a surprisingly yeah. good movie. Um, and like, yeah, in Suicide Squad, I, I'm not going to go into it because I know you haven't seen it yet. But it's got to be by far the most complex performance he's ever given. Awesome. I can't, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I think, I think you'd have a great time. I think, like, as a whole, we kind of sell professional wrestling short as, like, a general artistic medium. That sounds stupid, but I think I'm onto something here. Uh, because, like, it is, like, such a... Obviously, like, it, it is a very... Like, in terms of acting, it is very hammy and cartoonish a lot of the time well yeah but, it's, it's it's basically just it's 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 really shitty theater in the same way that like 24-hour news is theater yeah but like it's kind of incredible because you're also incorporating like a lot of like extremely athletic and physical stunts in it basically which is the slight edge it has over the 24-hour news yeah exactly like a side note but like if i had gotten into it when i was really young i think i would be really into professional wrestling oh yeah like uh, I- now, enough about our shitty parasocial relationships with pro wrestlers and acclaimed auteurs. Mm. Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Denis Villeneuve. Um, and actually, speaking of Jason Momoa, because that's what we were talking about before. <laughs> no, Jason Momoa is incredible in this. Like, he's actually really good in this. Yeah, like, I think I think we're going to have to... The, the two big Jason Momoa movies that I've seen this year are obviously Justice League and this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's terrific in both. And, like, I, I, I worry that he is going to get eventually pigeonholed as, like, kind of the, the, the like, kind of the Dwayne Johnson type charismatic action hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, he's not just doing the same thing every movie at this point. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can even kind of see this if you look at what was arguably his breakout role in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like, these are radically different characters. He's got, mm-hmm. he's actually got range. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously, like, the, the, he does have the wheelhouse of, like, the big, boisterous guy. But to say that Aquaman and Duncan Idaho, for instance, are the same character would just be completely inaccurate. Aquaman has that kind of brooding edge to him, whereas Duncan Idaho is basically, like, a ray of charisma. Mm-hmm. Which he should be. Like, honestly, like, he's one of the more, like, underdeveloped characters in the book. He just kind of feels like he comes and goes. Yeah. So, so to kind of create like a lasting impression of him is a credit not only to the writers and to Villeneuve, but definitely to Jason Momoa. Oh, 100%. Like he, 
Yeah, because like, yeah, like you said, like he's he's just kind of a fleeting character in the book. Mm-hmm. Which, with a name like Duncan Motherfucking Idaho, yeah, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. We're, That's a travesty. We're more so told he's important as to like, like anything else. We're not really shown why he's important. And and I think actually, I feel like with the wrong actor, it would have been the same thing. Yeah. Um. Because, yeah, in it definitely feels like in the movie he's just kind of this fleeting character who kind of comes and goes. We know he's important. We don't really know why, but we know he's important. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just kind of there. Um, and I feel like if they got say, I don't know, The Rock to play mm-hmm. Duncan Idaho, you know, it, it wouldn't have. Uh, I don't think it would have had as much of an impression. Um, I think Dave Bautista would have pulled it off. Um, yeah. 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 But there is also something about Jason Momoa's specific charm, his specific charisma. Mm-hmm. And I really like Jason Momoa's charisma. Yeah, yeah. I really like him. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, I I think, uh, no, the, the, whoever's casting Jason Momoa and stuff is clearly onto something, because, like, he's basically killing it every time he gets a, he gets a role. Oh, yeah, like, he basically feels like kind of the next John Cena, like, in terms of his charisma. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I really like you for some reason. I can't put my finger on why. Yeah, and you're we're, we're really good. And we're talking about the guy who's, like, who, what was supposed to be one of his, like, like, his big, his first big role was fucking Baywatch. Right. Yeah, and then, like, his, what was supposed to be his first big film role was, like, that God awful Conan the Barbarian reboot. Oh right, I forgot about that. Like he kind of had just wor- had to work as he he had he had like he had an uphill battle, but like he's still like genuinely extremely talented. Well, and that's the thing. Like even looking at like um the 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 studio edit of Justice League, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that movie is an unforgivable piece of shit. Jason Momoa is the only good thing in that movie. Like, he tries as hard as to sell some god-awful lines in that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, hearing him boisterously grunt his way through Justice League was mm. actually delightful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Same can't be fucking said for everybody else, but mind you, I think they also just kind of gave up, which, fair. Yeah, um, I, fair. I, too, would give up if I was handed those shitty pages of... Imagine, imagine being handed that scene as Ezra Miller or Ray Fisher. Imagine being handed that scene where mm. you're digging up Superman's corpse. You, you make a pet cemetery joke. You go for the high five and cyborgs like, nah. And then the flash has to go, yo, is it because it was racially charged? Imagine being handed those pages and, and not saying the words I'm giving up now. Yeah. Yeah. You you yeah, I don't think anybody's obligated to give that line any semblance of dignity. Nope. 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 And I I respect Ezra Miller and um Ray Fisher for not giving that scene any fucking dignity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute um, class acts. <laughs> yeah. I I wanted to kind of double back to the movie. Um, of course, as as we must. Uh and I wanted to talk like a bit more about that I want to talk more about just kind of just kind of how it looks and like I almost I almost think there's like a comparison to be made with like 
even last jedi mm-hmm. uh it it, it it they're different clearly but th- there is that very kind of there's a lot of empty space they use it extremely well it's very it's a very kind of dark brooding atmosphere which i think works really well for dune because i think with dune you can either kind of go two ways with it mm-hmm. you can go kind of as we've alluded to kind of the more psychedelic campy route but dune is kind of a miserable book mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and i think it's kind of echoed in this in the movie which is like foreboding to because like at what we're seeing is paul realize that he's about to he's going to be he's a chosen one he's a messiah but he's also going to lead people to do some truly awful things mm-hmm. and I think they do extremely well to kind of build that atmosphere, even if we don't necessarily see the payoff yet. And part part of that is the cinematography. Part of it is Timothy Chalamet. But a lot of it is actually Hans Zimmer's score, I find. Oh, his score is beautiful. Yeah, it's like I was listening to it earlier. It's a very it's not a very Hans Zimmer score, I find. No, it's it's very honestly kind of low key for him. It's very menacing, mm. too. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've definitely talked about Hans Zimmer on the show before. Um, he kind of gets pigeonholed nowadays into like kind of the Christopher Nolan movies and the kind of the superhero movies he does, mm-hmm. which is unfair to him because I think he's when he does get those jobs, he's really good. But I think we forget just how much of a genius he is in general. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Like, look at his score for The Lion King. Yeah. Which is probably one of my favorite scores of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like it's it's it. No, it's a beautiful score. Again, I think even actually to double back to the cinematography for a second, because I think that's a huge part of it, too, like. The way that, mm-hmm. and again, like, I do kind of prefer the general art direction of Lynch's film a little bit more, but I do mm-hmm. really like what Villeneuve did. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that Villeneuve, Jesus, I can't speak. One thing that Villeneuve does really well that Lynch doesn't do as well mm-hmm. is create this very foreboding sense of isolation, especially on Arrakis. Yep. Absolutely. Like, Arrakis is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Everything about Arrakis is just like, holy shit. Like, yeah. just, and again, like, I think that's one of the big reasons why I'd recommend seeing it in a theater if you can, mm. is because just that foreboding sense of isolation works so well on a big screen. I, I can see it working really well at home too, but it works so well on a big screen. Yeah. I, I really, I really hope it gets like some sort of like big screen re release because I really want to see that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it is wow it looks beautiful like i would kill to see it in imax i wish Mm -hmm. we got to see it in imax but Mm -hmm. alas uh these things don't work out um yeah um there's another thing i want to talk about too yo actually two things I'll, i'll go through the quick one very briefly um the one thing I hate about both Lynch and uh, actually even the miniseries too, because I've seen how old the guy who plays uh, Paul is in that too. The one thing I hate about every adaptation of Dune mm-hmm. is that everyone they cast for Paul is way too fucking old. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet is the best Paul Atreides. He is way too old to be Easily. playing Paul Atreides. He is, he's way too old to be like Timothy Chalamet is 25 and I think Paul's supposed to be like 14. Yeah, give or take. Granted, they don't state his age in the movie, so I think they're kind of leaving it, trying to leave it more ambiguous. But like, he doesn't really look like a teenager. No, I mean um, he looks he looks younger than fucking Kyle MacLachlan. But... Yeah, like, but he does he does kind of hit that gray area, area ugh, that gray area of like, yeah, you don't really look the right age, but like you're boyish enough that you can sell it. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like 
I mean, Chalamet... Because that's the thing is, like, I thought it was weird when Chalamet was playing a high schooler in Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. He's at the point right now where he can play, like, college kid. Oh, he's easily a college guy. He's like, easily a college guy. Like, mm-hmm. like Paul Atreides looks like he goes out to the kegger every Saturday night. What if Dune was a frat comedy is basically what I'm saying. I'd rather not think of that. National Lampoon's Dune. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go slit my fucking wrists now. Did before you do that? Did you see like the interview that at the presser? I think he did with Zendaya for the I think for Dune, where like he was talking about basically when he was like 14, and this is where when I knew that Timothy Chalamet was was a man of the people. Uh, but he would do like let's plays and also like sell modded Xbox controllers. That's so cool. This <laughs> is so fucking funny. I think he made like fifteen dollars off of it, is what he said. Fifteen dollars. Yeah, no. Tim- Timothy Chalamet is great. Is what we should all be taking away from this. Timothy Chalamet seems cool. Also, speaking of people who like kind of got minor breaks on bad TV shows, one of his big breakout roles was eight episodes on Homeland. Mm. Lol. <laughs> I've never seen a single episode of Homeland. I don't give enough of a shit to watch it. I've seen enough, and by enough, I mean like 15 minutes. How bad is that? It's not great. Yeah, alright, so now that we've gotten the Paul Atreides is always too old out of the way thing, and I, it would have been funny it, to see them try to like digitally de-age Timothy Chalamet to be like 12. That would have been fucking terrible. That would have been um, funny. To be, to be fair, Paul Atreides is a very hard character to play as young, mm-hmm. because he is literally a superhuman messiah. Yeah. And so, shit's gonna get dark with him real fucking quick. Yeah, also that. Like and and kind of talking about this, like you hear you hear Dune kind of brought up sometimes as kind of being like a, a subversion of the chosen one genre. Mm-hmm. It's it's really not, in my opinion. Like it, it is just like a chosen one story, but I think what makes it compelling is like how eerie it makes being the chosen one feel. Because mm-hmm. you 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 like I would I would say even Harry Potter is more of a subversion than Dune in that sense. Oh hundred percent. But but what nothing else really does is make the chosen one feel like so much of like a, a deterioration of your soul. Mm-hmm. And th- this, this is me speaking more, even more so for the book, but even for this movie, like I think Chalamet does a really good job of selling it. Like there is part of him that's going to have to be lost to grow into uh, the Kwisatz Haderach or Lisan Al-Gaib. Yeah. I, I don't have, I don't have any thoughts I'm driving at because I think a lot of that is go more so going to come to a head in the second part of the movie. Um, but I really like kind of where they're going with it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, and this might just be recency bias, but this movie does kind of hit more on the, uh, the kind of the, the, the allegory for the wars in the Middle East. That was actually gonna be my big point, but okay. <laughs> oh, well, let's just get into it then. <laughs> um, so first of all, I do want to say this outright. My favorite adaptation of Dune is the Iraq war. <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld is my favorite Paul Atreides. <laughs> my my favorite my, my my favorite Gurney is Dick Cheney. <laughs> no no wait no Dick Cheney Dick Cheney is the Baron. Oh no yeah Dick Cheney would be the Baron then yeah I guess uh, Gurney would be um one of Saddam Hussein's like psychopathic sons. I guess so, yeah. Um, we got a lot of good candidates for for Harkonnens, actually. <laughs> yeah, we actually have a ton of good candidates for Harkon. Like, I think, um, no, I think, 
Cheney's perfect though for Harkin. Um, mm-hmm. oh god, who who would you cast as Duke Leto? Like who's a who's a who's a flawed but decent character in the Iraq War? I don't know. Um, I guess W. Maybe Barbara Lee. Oh, actually, probably Barbara Lee. No. Yeah. yeah. I actually um before before we get into the Iraq War thing, I just thought of something. Uh, and this has to do with the Harkonnens. Like, we don't get to see as much as, like, the Baron as we did in even the Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. But I really like... And this goes... Again, this goes back to how the movie is shot. But, like, how how the floating kind of looks on him. Like, I like the scene where he's in the background and he, like, floats up. But because he's wearing, like, a robe or something, it looks like his legs are just getting longer. Oh, yeah. That was disturbing as fuck. Anyway, back to the Iraq War thing. Well, that was... That was a segue. A great half. segue. Mm-hmm. Is what anyway, gonna say. anyway, yeah, like this, this, this movie really does one. It feels like it really embraces the books, like Mid- Middle Eastern influence, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like I think this is like the only Dune adaptation I've seen that actually really does dive into that because like Hodorowski's wasn't going to. No, no, not at all. Um, and Lynch's doesn't at all either. Um, to the point where they actively mispronounce a lot of the people's names. Also, yeah. everybody's white. No, and, like, this is at least a couple steps forward. It ain't perfect, but it's a couple steps forward. And, like, a lot of it really works. And, yeah, like you said, like, it really does feel like it has it has the Iraq war on its mind. Mm-hmm. And why? And, and, again, this is, like, what? This movie comes out, like, a few months after all that shit that just happened in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, which is an equally applicable... metaphor to be completely honest 100 percent. so like naturally a lot of what we've been seeing in the last 20 years as far as like the invasion of the middle east is concerned is gonna be on everyone's mind and it really really applies to dune yeah now how many people are gonna walk out thinking you know sandra after watching this big budget sci-fi epic i really want to talk to you about the war on terror yeah I was going to say, they also got to soften the edges a bit, though. Like, I don't... Like, the word jihad is mentioned incredibly frequently in the book. Not once in this movie. No. Because I don't think it would have gotten made if it had the word jihad in it. That's the thing. It wouldn't have gotten made. I don't think it would have gotten greenlit. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I get it, but it does kind of remove the bite of the the book a little bit. I, I But whatever it's not a huge deal no like it's 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 something that really sucks and i think would make the movie a lot stronger but mm-hmm. maybe in dune part two villeneuve will say fuck you <laughs> all right uh all right hang on guys so i got this idea oh what's the idea uh can you guys turn around for five minutes okay say jihad as much as you fucking can we're just gonna edit it everywhere okay the executives <laughs> are having a day off <laughs> quick the mods are out <laughs> quick the mo- <laughs> quick the mods are out post jihad <laughs> denis villeneuve 2023 <laughs> quick the mods are out post jihad <laughs> alexa play jihad denis villeneuve 2023 <laughs> um 
no, but like I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with part two. Maybe they'll try to make more of a point in it than that one. I have no idea. We won't mm. know until twenty twenty three. Um, yeah. In which case, we will start the sequel decay revival special. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we will be canceled by twenty twenty two. Absolutely. Oops. We will get a special on Netflix. Would you recommend Dune? Dunk. Twenty twenty one. Part one. I love Dunkin' Donuts. So Dune uh, Part 1 is... <laughs> it's extremely good. I highly recommend it. Uh, very, very highly recommend it. This, like like we mentioned, this is as good, of, this is as good an adaptation of Dune as we're ever going to get. So if you, ever, if you ever wanted to see Dune as a movie, this is it. This is the peak. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to get this one. We're going to get Part 2. That is it. The... Uh, it, it does it have its problems? Yeah, uh, but mostly having to do with the fact that Dune is literally unfilmable as one movie, and they had to change their plans a bit. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's all it is. Uh, yeah. So it's it's gonna feel a little incomplete until we get part two. But even even so, like every it does everything so well. Everything it does everything else so well that it more than makes up for it. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. Like this is, yeah, it's it's terrific. Chris, uh -huh. how about you? Would you recommend Dunk Uno? I do recommend just dunking into that spice with your mom. Hot. Um, so the first half of Dune is great. It's, it's fantastic. I forgot to mention, I also would not mind if, uh, Rebecca Ferguson <laughs> and forced me to call her <laughs> but <laughs> Yo, I want her to <laughs> Anyway, I just bumped the movie up half a star on Letterboxd. <laughs> Do you think Rebecca Ferguson just sits there and goes, "Finally, a new episode of Sequel Decay." It's been four long months. About me. Sorry. <laughs> I wonder what Sequel Decay thinks about me. This is incredibly important for my ego. Oh yeah, no, like I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that she's secretly been a fan of us this entire time, and now that we're just dropping a Dune episode, she's going, "Yes, finally." Sequel to Kate is back. They're talking about my movie. I wonder what they're gonna say about me. And I and I just sit there and go, I want Rebecca Ferguson to. And she goes, We're done. <laughs> I'm reporting you to the FBI. <laughs> like it's over. I forgot Charlotte Rampling was in this too, and she's fantastic in it too. Um, yeah, for like the two minutes that she's there. Yeah, she's great. for the for, yeah her glorified cameo was great. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Dune Part 1 is very good, and I love it quite a bit. Um, I, mm -hmm. as always with Denis Villeneuve, I'm always very surprised at how good these movies are. Mm -hmm. not, not that I, like, actively want him to fail, because I don't, but it's just kind of like, you know, listening to a bunch of film Twitter suck-asses, like, kiss the ground that this movie walks on is obnoxious as hell. Mm -hmm. So... It does kind of just destroy me on the inside to be like, okay, yeah, I am excited for it. I think it's going to be really good. 
and I'm sure I'm gonna really really like it but like I remember like when it premiered at Venice like people were like this is the next 2001 and it's like blow it out of your fucking ass dude holy <laughs> yeah, I don't shit know about... I'm not sure about that chief you like I, I said this before I'll say it again we need to punt like film journalism into the sun where it belongs yeah like just set that shit on fire call it a day we're done it's over i can get behind that completely get behind that and i think like those initial responses were just like oh my god i don't mm. see denis villeneuve breaking any new ground and i can actually see him being very annoyed with people going this is the next 2001 there is no 2000 no other 2001 there will be no other 2001 oh yeah no like i can i can see denis villeneuve and quebecois going yeah blow it out of your ass <laughs> like come on what the hell is this? Jesus Christ. Um That's what Quebec that's what Quebecois people sound like. Yeah, they sound like they're from New York. Um mm. makes sense. They're, they border each other. Um mm. No, but like I, I think uh no, but I thought Dune was great. I thought it was awesome. It was a fucking blast. I'm I think the only thing that kind of irked, the only other thing that really irked me besides like it was a little long was like yeah, like you said, like this movie ends in a very weird spot, but like that's the problem of having to adapt this as two films. Um, mm -hmm. And also just kind of that anxiety of, A, whether or not we were going to get one at that point, a second movie. Um, yeah. And two, like now this kind of like slow anxiety of like, and again, I hope it's good. I hope it's good. I want it mm -hmm. to be good so badly. Mm hmm. But also that, like, low-key anxiety of, like, oh, I hope the second one doesn't suck. Yeah. Like, that would scare the shit out of me. Because, mm -hmm. like, whether or not this movie holds up in a couple of years depends entirely on part two right now, which is so much unneeded stress. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, like, a lot of how we view this movie is going to come down to how we view part two. Yeah. So... That is why we will do a second episode of mm. Dune, where we will mm. not talk about David Lynch. We will just talk about Denny, and I think we're gonna have a better kind of perception of both of them once we get down to it. Yeah, I I think so too. Yeah. So, yeah, like as of right now, I think so far so good. <laughs> so yeah, far I, very I have, good. I have a ton of faith that he can that uh, Villeneuve can pull this off. Oh, one hundred percent. Like if he pulls this off, he's he's an absolute genius. Yeah, and uh, I, I think he will, but we're we're gonna have to see because like he, nothing's ever certain when you're adapting Dune. Well, nothing's ever certain when you're adapting Dune, and also like, you know, everyone and and even if he does kind of fuck up part two, it's kind of like, dude, everyone has a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I don't care. Like if he has a mm -hmm. bad movie, he has a bad movie. But like I have more than enough faith he's gonna pull this off yeah yeah um and i recommend the movie see All it right. in a, see it in a theater if you can if not fair i know what's going on in the world still <laughs> just because we've been gone for four months doesn't mean we're not paying attention and uh yeah yeah we're done we are done uh do you want to do our first lead out of uh post hiatus or do you want me to do it i'm gonna do it because i want to see if i can yeah. remember all this all right. Oh, uh, before you before you go into it, um, don't forget. I I actually I found the the charity I was talking about for the residential school survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, you're gonna have to wing it a little bit, but I'll tell you the uh, here. I'll post the link in the Discord, and the the charity is called the the Indian Residential School Survivors Society. Mm 
Um, if can you, you couldn't mention, just, yeah, throw that. In the, I, I got oh, the never one. mind. It's right. It's right there. We'll Actually, it, it turns up here. You're fine. Open book test. Um, all right. Hello, haters and losers. How are you feeling? Did you like the show? Are you tired of us? Never mind. I I don't want to know. Um, mm -hmm. that was a Bo Burnham reference. Did you miss Hooray. it when I made references to things? No, neither did I. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> so it's been another episode of Sequel Decay. We're not going to go on hiatus for four months again. No, well, no. The, we promise we're we're sticking around for. We're a sticking around for a little <laughs> while. Like we're back. We're back. Uh -huh. It's mm -hmm. we're here. It's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I'm gonna start with the social media links. Oh my god, we haven't done this in months. <laughs> yeah, that's, why? Why is the thing I'm most nervous about like the sign off? Yeah, because you always <laughs> fuck it up and I always ace it. So I'm just sitting here with the anxiety of like I'm gonna fuck it up this time. Um, okay, mm -hmm. so you can like us on Facebook. Um, just you know, sequel decay. Just look up sequel decay in the search bar. You'll find us. It's not that hard. Um, we're also on Instagram at Sequel Decay. You can follow us on Twitter at Decay Sequel. You can follow Brandon, Stefan, and I on Twitter and Instagram if you really want. Um, also Letterboxd. Also Letterboxd. That's right. Um, all three of us are on there now. Brandon doesn't post as often. Stefan, and Stefan posts every so often. I post way more frequently than I should because I don't have a life outside of the show. Or to be fair, Letterboxd is like the best social media website by far. Well, yeah, because you can just easily avoid dipshits. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you can follow us on... Yeah, you can follow us on all of those. Links are in the description below, obviously. We do have a YouTube channel. It hasn't been in use for four months. Um, mm -hmm. We also tried this idea of maybe throwing a TikTok together. I'm not going to throw it in the fucking description because I think that's still a WIP. Mm. Um, I want to throw a couple other things on there first before I start going, yo, we have a TikTok, follow us on TikTok, show, or share our crappy crap on TikTok. You know, mm. tickety the talkity. It's just, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what I want to do with that account yet. Mm. But, um, in fact, I actually forgot we had it until now. <laughs> Yeah, so did I, actually. <laughs> so that means I'm killing it on the sign-off so far. Mm -hmm. um, as always, we have we have the links in the description if you want to put any money towards, you know, charities. Um, so obviously we have we have our we have our main two. So like, if you want to donate to BLM, keep donating to BLM. Um, you know, you're probably asking me, Chris, is BLM still topical? I mean, we all are aware that Black Lives Matter. It's like, no, but n not, none of, not all of us are aware, so you gotta keep reminding people or something. Also, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is probably gonna end with him getting a slap on the wrist and a hand job. so, uh, yeah. it's, it's important. Then, of course, we have, um, we have our links for, um, the Mi'kmaq fisheries. Um, you can keep donating to that. It's not as much of a pressing issue anymore, but still like, if you want to keep showing support by all means. Um, and finally, so we've been gone for four months and I want to say shortly after we went off the air, some shit came up in Canada. For those of you who are listening to us in the States, which according to anchor is the majority of you actually, which is kind of wild. Which is but... absolutely insane that the majority of our listeners are American. Which yeah. means I have to actually talk down to... Yeah, 65% of our audience is American. Damn. Um, thanks for tuning in, damn. Yeah, wow, thanks. <laughs> uh, we've been talking shit about your country this whole time, so... <laughs> I'm sure you're used to it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the self-loathing ones. Um, mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, so for those of you who aren't aware, um, in Canada right now, there's been a lot of discussions, debates, um, a lot of, a lot of that about the, the shit in our country, the, the giant stain of shit in our country that is our history with residential schools. Um, were residential schools a thing in the States? Probably. They, they were, but okay, they, they, were. they absolutely were, but, um, I think... And I'm not sure, but I think uh, the ones in Canada were, like, notoriously bad. Yeah, okay, so, like, basically, if you don't know what a residential school is, because I understand the American education system is bad, um, they were essentially means of assimilation to strip Indigenous children away from their families, and essentially, for lack of a better phrase in my mind right now, because I'm just riffing, whitewash them. Um mm. And, yeah, the Canadian ones are notoriously horrible for a number of reasons. And basically ever since we went off the air, like mm. I want to say shortly after we went off the air, they started um, they started discovering unmarked graves on former residential school sites. Yep. I also want to make a note here that residential schools were still a thing in Stefan Brandon and I's lifetime, and we're mm. only in our mid-20s. So keep that in mind, too. But, yeah. um, what, they've discovered, what, how many unmarked graves now? Thousands? Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands at this point? Maybe... Certainly certainly hundreds. Definitely. Oh, no. De- like, too oh, no, much. It's, oh, no, too it's cer- fucking much. Oh, no, it's certainly thousands. It's certainly thousands. Yeah. It might be tens of thousands at this point. It's mm-hmm. it's still... I mean, even, even two is too fucking much. One is too fucking much, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Stefan and Brandon and I have found um, another organization called the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, and we highly encourage you to look into them. We highly encourage you to support them as much as you possibly can, whether it be through sharing on your social media or donating if you can. The link will be in the description below. So donate to, yeah, so donate to any of these three, at the very least, have the fucking decency to keep talking about them. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, keep the conversation going, even if you can't donate right now. I understand money's tough, money's a bitch, COVID's bad. Um, mm. You know, but keep talking, keep fighting, don't, don't fucking stop because you think, you know, this shit will magically resolve itself under capitalism. <clears throat> Cute. Um, Cute. Adorable. adorable, really. You know, once again, Kyle Rittenhouse is probably going to get away scot-free with shooting two people. Mm. Oh, sorry, killing two people and shooting another. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's not over. I'm glad I got to bring up Rittenhouse, though. Yeah, like, <laughs> what better way to kick off the end of a Dune episode by than by going, Kyle Rittenhouse is gonna get away with everything. Kyle Rittenhouse is a little piss baby, and now, through the magic of video, everybody knows why. I I kinda wanna post that video I edited together on the Sequel Decay Twitter page. Oh, I, I approve. Cool. Um, just be like, coming next week, we talk about Rittenhouse. Um... All right, uh, yeah, but I think, I don't think I'm missing anything. I think we're done. I think we're good. I think I, I think I aced it. Uh, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify. Right, right, uh, right, right, right. I forgot about that. Fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're on we're on Anchor primarily. That's our that's that's where we host the RSS. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts now for some reason. Ugh. I'm not sure how that happened, but okay. That was sorry. I'm not sure how that happened, but okay. I we're on there. I'm not happy about it. I mean, whatever. It's more views. 
sure, I guess. I mean, iTunes and Spotify would have done us fine. I mean, I, I just think us being on Amazon just makes me feel like a fucking sellout. Um, we are on Amazon Podcasts, and I really want everyone to know that Jeff Bezos can literally lick my dick. Yes. Like, Jeff Bezos should uh, get swirlied every day. He should get swirlied every day. You should kick him in the teeth. You know, it would be like if we drove a Tesla, I would still say Elon Musk is a cunt. <laughs> And I don't think we're making any money off of Amazon anyways, so uh, who yeah, whatever, cares? Fuck him. But but I but I do really want to keep saying since we're on that platform that uh, I want Jeffrey Bezos to die a miserable death. Okay, alone and bald. I agree with that. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. See you in two weeks, folks. See you in two weeks. This has been fun. Time to get some good dunk. Is that what you're calling sex with your mom? And by your mom, I do mean I have no good answer to that. You getting some funky donkey? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is that is the Dune version of Sloppy Toppy, by the way, kids. <laughs> Fuck it, crap my legs, shit. Fuck it. <laughs> All that thinking about Oh my god, I'm done. <laughs> alright, alright. Goodbye, folks. Good night. Good night. Good night.